Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN. I uh, contribute to this podcast. You sure do, Whitney. <laughs> and uh, with me, as always, is my uh, very healthy co-host. Thank you. <laughs> I needed to hear that. Uh, yeah. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for uh, The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, this is an interesting episode. We took last week off because for scheduling issues, uh, we were just like, we can push it back a week. What's the worst that could happen? Um, well, the country goes on lockdown. Uh, that's that's a, a little bit of thing, a little bit of news that's sort of popped up in the meantime. Uh, if you're not paying attention to the movie news, and I don't entirely blame you, given that we are all dealing with a pandemic, we're all mm. trying to be responsible, stay indoors as much as possible. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. No unnecessary mm. contact. Social distancing. Stay mm. far away from people if you can. And good God, stop hoarding toilet paper. It's it's that's really not the thing. You should be keeping <laughs> on lockdown. Uh, but if you're not paying attention to the film industry, and I don't blame you at all, the movie industry is basically shutting down. There's a lot of productions that are just we're like halfway through. They've stopped. They've stopped shooting the Batman. They've stopped shooting uh, that new Marvel series for Disney Plus. They've they're all locking it down to be as responsible and safe as they can, and as a result, they're also moving uh, movies out of theaters because theaters are either closing down or they're dramatically reducing the number of tickets they're going to sell mm. per screen in yeah. order to allow people to, if necessary, if they choose, and they should choose, uh, to keep their distance from each other. Yeah. Uh, I work at a movie theater, and we're staying open, Yep. but yes, we've uh, decided to limit uh Ticket sales to fifty percent capacity. That's what I keep hearing. Yeah, yeah. And, and yours um, is only like one theater. Ours is a smaller. You ours can, is it's only easier a, to manage. It's like a two hundred seat theater. So yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. easy to manage the one screen. But yeah, a lot of multiplexes are 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 getting a, a lot more cautious about that. Some theaters are closing altogether just to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, as such. And yeah, and a lot of uh, major releases are being delayed. Uh, Fast Nine was delayed. Mulan uh, was Mulan delayed. Was delayed. Mulan, was, Mulan was supposed to open on the twenty seventh. Like it's yeah. coming up. They had they had press screenings already. I was yeah. invited to one, and I didn't go out of preponderance of caution because it was the premiere. Okay. And I was like, dude, that's hundreds of people. It, it seemed like a bad idea. So I was going to go to a press screening a couple of days later. Uh-huh. That press screening got canceled, and I'm Which, like, dang it, I almost saw Mulan. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, <laughs> press screening. Just, you know, you can still have a press screening, just, you know, fill it to half capacity for caution, caution's mm-hmm. sake. Well, even then, it's still a, a even risk. If you're de- but even if you're delaying the release, there's no reason a critic can't see it early. Well, there's no <laughs> point in a critic seeing it early because we're not going to, we're not talking about anything yeah. anyone's a scene. So at that point, we're just lording it over you. Hi, so, I saw Mulan. No, luckily, we do have some content for you this week, yeah. dear listeners, because uh, we can catch up with the films we could talk about last week. And mm-hmm. we actually have a couple. And, uh, um, and those are still in theaters. If you do <clears> want to brave it, we don't mm-hmm. necessarily recommend that, but you get to make your decisions yeah Um, there's ways to do it safely and we'll tell you about what you're missing what you're not missing in some cases but from this episode onward here at critically acclaimed we're gonna make for the immediate future yeah we're gonna make some changes we're still gonna be reviewing new movies but we're going to be focusing even more on streaming services obviously yeah which we had been doing anyway yeah it's always been our goal to focus on different facets of the industry we focus on theatrical releases streaming services straight Mm. to dvd when that applies uh even some tv movies here or there but because theater uh, opportunities are dropping way down Mm. we are going to focus on streaming services in the future we've also decided that just to make it fun and to try and make the most of this situation Mm-hmm. We are going to implement a new uh, uh, segment 
here at Critically Acclaimed, the regular weekly movie review podcast. Mm-hmm. We are going to do, introduce a segment called the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club. So in addition to watching whatever new movies uh, are coming out on streaming, and that varies from week to week, mm. so it might not be as dense an episode as we're used to, we are going to watch one older movie every single week, and we're all going to decide on it a week in advance, and that way we can all watch it together, and we can all kind of share in that communal movie going quality where like we're all talking about the same film we all saw the same film within the last week and we're all discussing it Mm -hmm. in order to make that as sort of fair and uh uh, diverse as possible we're going to be focusing on different streaming services every week um there's only so many uh so we're gonna do well the 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 popular ones the big ones we'll do the the ones you've heard of the ones you possibly have subscriptions to already yeah so we're gonna do uh streaming services like netflix hulu amazon prime maybe disney plus Mm -hmm. shutter Maybe 2B TV, some of the free ones. Um, And uh, the only major rule is that whatever movies we put on the poll, they have to be one that either Whitney or I or both haven't seen. And that way we're getting a fresh take. So we're we're getting this uh, film education, presumably alongside with you. Mm -hmm. We all have a little uh, little more extra time. Uh, So this is a good opportunity to uh, expand our horizons, uh, better ourselves. If we're going to watch some movies that we haven't watched before, we always meant to. It might be a good time to catch up on your reading or take up a hobby. There's a million different things that we can do to stay productive and positive. And we figured the thing that we could do together is watch some Mm. old movies in addition to the new ones. uh, We haven't. This is not set in stone yet, but uh, let let us know if this would be. This is something you'd be interested in. Uh, We were thinking of doing like a live stream, like a live commentary. Mm. So you could like tune in and watch a movie with us, like on camera, like we could or or just record live. That would probably be a Patreon uh, exclusive. Mm. But, you know, given the circumstances, it might not be a top tier one. We might make it smaller. uh, Uh, It's yeah. Circumstances being what they are. We also would need to figure out the logistics behind that. Whitney and I are not particularly tech savvy. And so that (laughs) might not be that might be a sort of thing we could talk about, but maybe not implement terribly well. But but if that's something that sounds fun. If we get like enough of a response, then we'll look into it a lot more yeah. vehemently. Uh, so the very first movie we're going to be watching on the uh, critically acclaimed streaming club, we had a 24-hour uh, poll. On, on Twitter, this weekend. yeah. Yeah, the first couple of polls are going to be on Twitter. We want as many people to be involved as possible to get invested in it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're going to move the poll over to our Patreon because our patrons are paying good money to be able to you know, suggest content for the show. Uh, so after a couple of episodes, we're going to move it to the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one we're going to pick, we decided to only pick movies from Netflix's quote-unquote classics section. Which is paltry. Pretty bad. It is, it, it, I mean, it, not, it I'm has, not saying everything on there is yeah. bad, but it's it, not it, it, good. It, it only has like maybe 25 movies, and like a third of them are Bollywood films. Not Nothing against that, but no, like yeah, but, there's a huge... Huge, uh, yeah, I, huge I'm swath ha- of movie history that is being ignored by Netflix. Well, also, you know, I think their Bollywood section is bigger than their classics section. So, so there's a little bit of overlap. I think it's great that there are a lot of Bollywood films. That's there's awesome. also a lot of, like, anime. There's, like, a lot of international pictures on Netflix. But the glory days of thinking of them as some sort of grand repository for cinema, uh-huh. like, that passed years ago. Was they, that ever they, actually a thing or was it, that a it, pipe dream? It was a promise. It's <sighs> like we're going to move all of our calendar online and you'll be able to stream everything. Everything? Really? So, like, the entire calendar, the entire, like, catalog of of all of cinema. It's all going to be in one place. That was the fantasy. Great. That's not a thing that happened. And they said, no, actually, we're a TV studio. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to make our own stuff. Um, So, our options, we decided to each pick two. 
Uh, mm. Whitney picked for our options on the poll. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I've never seen either of those. Uh, I'd seen Driving Miss Daisy a long-ass time ago, but I've yeah. never seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I think it's interesting that those two are thematically linked. They're both Best Picture winners about race that a lot of people groan about now. <laughs> uh, and I picked two sports movies that I hadn't seen, The Longest Yard and The Natural. And I'm, not, y'all, I'm not sure if The Longest Yard qualifies as a classic, but it, it's is, in there. it is in circles. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the 70s. Section. It's fine. All right. Um, and uh, and y'all picked uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is on Netflix. We're going to watch it this week, and we're going to talk about it on next week's episode of Critically Acclaimed. We hope you join us. Um, and uh, yeah, we can all mm-hmm. experience or re-experience this film together. And that'll be a lot of fun, and it's one that neither of us have seen. Yeah, we get to, we get to discover classics. Yeah, I'm fun. looking forward to this. It's always something. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that'll be for next week. We'll also talk about the new releases we'll be reviewing next week at the end of the show. Uh, let's catch up on some movies. The number one movie for the last two weeks, and they are not great weeks at the box office, but mm-hmm. by God, this was number one, is a movie called Onward uh, from Pixar, which mm-hmm. I still haven't seen. Tisk tisk. So um, Whitney is going to guide us through. Yeah, on, onward, yeah, it's the latest film from Pixar. Uh, with the release of The Good Dinosaur, we entered this new phase where there was like up, like upper tier and lower tier Pixar. They started to sort of separate. I think Cars did that. Maybe Cars, especially did that. Cars too. Yeah, but we're. Cars, although isn't a critical success, is doing gangbusters business in ice cream cakes. Oh, just uh, marketing in general. Yeah, marketing. Yeah, like, it's it's their it's their their toy empire is mostly based on based cars. on cars. Yeah, uh, you can you can bet that there are not going to be like hit onward toys. They're of course making the toys, but yeah, right. you're, you're going to find those in a ditch in twenty years time. Like nobody's going to like the. Is it that extra- bad, or is it just no <clears throat> one's going to see it? It's just that it's unpopular because it's a tough sell. The premise of onward is. It takes place. It's it's a little bit complex. It takes place in uh, like a Middle Earth type type of fantasy planet, where uh, there's wizards and elves and dwarves. There's no humans in this world. It's all mm. centaurs and mermaids, and there's magic. Mm. And this was like in medieval times. However, uh, they are all. There's also technology. They started inventing things because it's actually easier than using magic. It's really mm. hard to master the light my hut spell, but it's really easy just to flip a light switch. Right. So uh, it takes place in a world where it essentially takes place in the present of this planet, where technology has overrun everything. Everybody's just living in kind of the boring suburbs, uh, but it's all fantasy creatures like centaurs and elves. So and, it's bright, and magic is just kind of gone. So it's bright. It, it's it's bright with, without that kind of weird air of being completely and utterly caustic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it takes place, I, I think, maybe in the 1980s, because uh, the two main characters are a young 16-year-old wallflower elf named Ian and his older brother, uh, who is kind of like the van-driving metalhead D&D-playing wastoid. This one is clearly trying to, this film is clearly trying to evoke like that really grungy type of interest in fantasy that Mm. was really popular sort of in the Ralph Bakshi realm and the Ralph Bakshi era of like the Lord of the Rings animated films and the Hobbit animated films. Back when fantasy seemed kind of punk. Yeah, when it was really kind of outsider and like, yeah. It wasn't just nerdy kids. It was kind of like the dangerous kids were also into D&D, and they were, like, airbrushing unicorns on the sides of their vans. Oh, no, unicorns. Yeah, it's like... Kill them! They're witches! There's also a drug component. You know, these kids are also getting really high. (laughs) Uh, There's no drugs in Onward. Uh, Wow. But 
Uh, I don't know. Just, like it sounds like so. The premise sounds like people yeah. might have been taking a view. Uh, maybe yeah, I, I, you can, and I think that's maybe my my biggest criticism is that there's this is a Pixar film. It's put out by Disney. There's no edge whatsoever. Like mm. that grunginess is missing. You can just tell it's kind of looking in that direction. Mm. Uh, the story is the 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 young boy Ian. He's 16. Uh, his father died several years, uh, like years back mm. when he was still a baby. His older brother kind of has memories of their dad, but he died of cancer. And uh, now they're living alone with their mom. Do they their specify is, cancer? They specify cancer. Wow. Yeah, Usually in Disney can't, or Pixar can't. movies, it's vague. Well, they, they say, like, sickness, and they talk about him being bedridden for a long time, and you know, like him going through treatment. So it's all very cancer-related language. But they never actually use the they, word. They don't use the word cancer. Okay, that was, okay then I'm not, he, he that I'm not surprised. He could have died of Ali McGraw disease, for all we know. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, they, they live with their mom. Their mom is dating uh, Centaur, who's a cop. And uh, Centaurs just don't run anymore. They just drive. <laughs> But they find... Uh, Luca, get off the counter. They find in the attic, as at the behest of, of their dead father, a, a wizard staff. Oh, gosh. Tell okay. me about the wizard staff while I tell this guy. The wizard back. staff was willed to them that, so that uh, this boy, the Ian, <clears throat> can cast a spell and bring his dad back for 24 hours. And he takes this as an opportunity to resurrect his father for a little bit, just so they can have some father-son time together. The spell goes badly, and they're only able to resurrect his bottom half. So just he's just his, sort of this bleeding pair of legs no, that's he, just he has, sitting there. He, like, he has like sort of a, a magic hole, like a magic glowing hole where the rest of his body ought to be. It's, cool. the, it's not like that that cross section of a cartoon where they look like a ham on the inside. Oh, uh, okay. No, he's... he's so. But uh, what I like is that the dad's legs, he's wearing like horrible dad khakis and really uh-huh. tacky shoes. And he, when over the course of the movie, they also learn that he's like... He liked to dance a lot, but he dances really badly. And there's nothing really mythic about their dad or like Mm. he was into magic, but he didn't like have the fate of the universe in his hands. He's just some dippy dork. He's a hobbyist. Yeah. 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 And and I sort of appreciate that, that there's actually not, despite it taking place in a fantasy universe, there's not any kind of gesture towards fantasy grandiosity. No chosen one storyline. Exactly. None of that crap. It's just we, we want to talk to our dad for a day. Let's go on this quest. Right. But how do we go on a quest and you know fulfill all of these magical D and D tropes when everybody's essentially living in the suburbs and going to Denny's? And it's about them like going to the local family restaurant and talking to the Manticore, who's just a manager there now. I mean, uh, it's a rough elevator pitch, but I've heard yeah. worse ideas for movies. And yeah, complete their complete this idea. It's a Pixar film, so it has, I think, an awful lot of just genuine heart to it yeah and there's you know one really wonderful moment as in most pixar films where you just you get a little bit of the sobs uh i really dug it i think there's uh, this weird sort of peculiarity to this movie that you don't get in a lot of big mainstream uh animated films anymore they're all so safe because they're a lot of them are made by these big uh well-moneyed companies that are spending many many years making them and don't want to take a lot of weird risks yeah uh, and I'm thinking of films like Ralph Bakshi, who's just sort of like, like those were, you know, moneyed, but he was doing them pretty much with like him and it's a couple teams of animators kind of making these as, you know, as creatively as possible. Yeah. Uh, even Ralph Bakshi's bad films are fascinating to look at. Cool World kind of sucks. Uh, yeah, there's so, so much I like about it, though. There's, it's a not, lot, there's there, no but, shortage of ideas in it. Exactly, exactly. And there's a lot yeah. of really interesting visual stuff in it. And I feel like these the people who are making this movie really wanted to make it kind of dirty. Yeah. But you can tell that because it's Pixar and they're trying to make everything sort of as clean as possible that it loses a lot of its potential power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I do appreciate that there's at least some of that punk rock element in it. Mm. 
So I yeah, just it's, really it's, want to watch Wizards now. Yeah, yeah. yeah Have you never seen Ralph Bakshi's Wizards? Hmm. Oh my God, see Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. It's so damn good. <laughs> it takes place in a future like this post-apocalyptic future where. Um, uh, monsters and fairies and wizards have arisen from the ashes of a thermonuclear war. And, um, and uh, everything's pretty peaceful. Like, there's bad guys and good guys, but, like, there's a, there's order to the chaos. Mm-hmm. And then the bad guy, the villain, the uh, Sauron type, if you will, discovers in the wreckage of the old world... Nazi propaganda films and starts showing them to the monsters and the monsters start rising up and getting organized and it's like, up, like Nazis yeah and then it's up to a couple of fairy tale creatures and like a robot that they've reprogrammed to try it's a cool looking robot it's a cool looking robot uh, to uh, to venture across the wastelands and try to find a way to solve the problem and I don't want to build it up too much or ruin it I love the ending of Wizards so much. <laughs> like, you think it's going one way, and then it goes a, a slightly different way, and you're like, that really is the only way this needed to end. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah, um, I'm going to give some credit on that, Wizards. Ralph Bakshi, by the way. <laughs> Kids might not know Ralph Bakshi. I know, uh, it's been a long time since he's done anything of note. Well, and, and Ralph Bakshi has been, you know, he's notoriously difficult to work with. He's yeah. just a big, pushy dude. Uh, if, if you've ever seen him at a live event, he's just a... He, just a big d- curmudgeon. D- descriptively, he's a maniac. <laughs> uh, he he did a Q and A at uh, at the New Art Theater once, and uh, the New Art Theater is right across the street, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, from a Seven Eleven. Yeah, and there's a crosswalk, or there's Ralph Bakshi storming out into traffic to go to Seven Eleven to grab something to eat, and I think a beer. <laughs> Like, hey, you guys want a beer? Hang on. And he just walks right into Santa Monica Boulevard. He doesn't go down to the corner. My dad used to do that. He was just like, if it's my time, it's my time. (laughs) Uh, Ralph Bakshi uh, worked in studio animation for many years and decided, uh, not unlike Don Bluth did in the 80s, although with a very different vibe, Mm. to venture out on his own and try to reshape the landscape of animation Mm. in America. And he did a pretty good job of it in the 70s, uh, making a variety of films, mostly R-rated or intended for adults. Yeah, Fritz some the cases, cat. Some yeah. cases X-rated. Fritz the cat is full of sex and drugs. Mm. Um, that uh, attempted to catalog experiences that were otherwise completely ignored mm. by the otherwise mainstream, family-friendly, quote-unquote, yeah, safe so, animation yeah. produced so, yeah. elsewhere. Between Fritz the Cat, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Coonskin, and Heavy Traffic. Mm-hmm. And wizards and wizards, like just yeah. though that that collection of animated films are just this really wonderful. Time for like underground animation in yeah. America. And these are all and they're, and they're all pushing boundaries. They're all like even Lord of the, the Rings was there was nothing like it when he did animated yeah. Lord of the Rings. Anthony Daniels, who played C three PO, is in that Lord of the Rings. He plays Legolas. Mm-hmm. That's cool. If you haven't seen that uh, Lord of John, the Rings, it's really good. John Hurt plays the Vigo Mortensen role. The uh, one, the Aragorn, role, Aragorn yeah. who, is, yeah. who is played by Vigo Mortensen in the live action films. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good. Uh, in some respects, I like the animated adaptation better than uh, than mm-hmm. the animated than the live action. Did I say that right? Yeah. In some respects, I like the animated version better, better than, than the live, live action okay. one. In some respects, the live action one's a lot better, but hmm. they they do different things, and they're both yeah, really they're good. Right. So if you haven't seen the animated one, do it. Just, just this is a good, if you're any interest in Onward, hmm. look up Ralph Bakshi, because that's what Ra- they're going this, yeah. for. R- Ralph Bakshi is clearly the inspiration here, and you know, there's a, you know, big fights with dragons, and there are monsters, but then there's like cute jokes, like, oh no, how do we get down this river? Well, let's see, we have a grow spell. And a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> so they just make a big Cheeto? They make a gigantic cheese puff and they float down a river on Won't it. Won't that dissolve in the water? If it's big enough, maybe not. Just make another one. They got a whole bag. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anyway. Yeah. 
Uh, so 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 pretty good. So pretty good. I, okay. I I really enjoyed it. It's getting a bit of a bum rap. I think because uh, it's kind of a, it's such a tough sell. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just bad like timing. Like there's no timing. way it was ever going to do as well as the, it could have. this is being compared to stuff like the Good Dinosaur. I think it's much better than that. It has mm. similar themes to a lot of Pixar's films in that learning life's lessons is hard. Going after your dreams is kind of impossible. Sometimes your the dream you have isn't the dream you want. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff in Onward, yeah. and I think it's actually a lot more sophisticated than it's getting credit for. So yeah, it's great. I, I encourage people to see this one uh, eventually. Speaking of really shitty timing and deserving more credit than it's getting, uh, The Hunt finally came out. <laughs> it was pushed back. It was pushed back. The Hunt was a film that came out, it was supposed to come out uh, late summer, very early fall mm. uh, last year. And it was coming out around the same time as the horror movie Ready or Not, which did really, really well, mm-hmm. and was about uh, rich people hunting a normal working class, middle class person for sport. Mm. Ready or Not fucking rocks, and it made my list of the best films of the last year. I love Ready or Not. The Hunt is not... In- well, Samara, I love Samara Weaving She's Ready great. or Not. Yeah. Um, the Hunt is not entirely dissimilar, but for because it's a little bit more for confrontational about its politics, uh, it became a, a minor... Like social media firestorm, well, where conservatives I'll, were saying a lot of the this other, movie's like, in very bad taste because mm-hmm. it is ostensibly, and I'll tell a bit more about it, about rich liberals hunting poor conservatives for sport. Mm-hmm. To which everyone's like, "This is horrible! What kind of horrible fantasy is Hollywood perpetuating?" And I'm like, "You know that the people hunting people are the bad guys, right? <laughs> That's how it's worked in every humans hunting mm-hmm. humans movie. The people hunting the humans are evil." So mm. really, you were going to be the heroes in this one, and they kind of are. <laughs> it's yeah. really weird. So this got pushed was, back, and it then got it got pushed back, back to this weekend, and of course no one mm. saw it for obvious reasons. But this was uh, like notorious like for a long time because the president talked about this yeah. movie. Like this was being and none mentioned of them had on, seen it. Been mentioned on like Fox News. What a terrible premise! What a terrible! Don't see this movie because it's about killer liberals. Like yeah. what you said. Yeah. The, 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 the bad guys in the, the horror movie guys. are the guys we're not supposed to sympathize with. Well, it also might reveal how they watch the human hunt movies. Actually, <laughs> who, who are they sympathizing with in all the other human hunt movies? Yeah. Um, so in any case, uh, the hunt finally came out. Mm. And The Hunt is actually a grand exploitation movie, and I really Aww. dig it a lot. I love grand exploitation movies. It's the kind of, it's got that kind of humorous anger that we had in like ultra violent exploitation movies in like the 70s. Mm. Um, and I really dig it a lot, and I do hope people eventually go see it. It is designed to make everyone laugh at themselves. Okay. Not so much others, you'll you do that too. But there's jokes at the expense of everybody who thinks they know mm. how other people think. Okay, that's the gag, and that's true. For and that's that is. I know I don't want to go both sides because it implies that both sides have equal validity in political thought, and not everyone agrees with that or even remotely thinks that. But everyone can have some fun with this. I think okay. is the idea. But it's not one of those things where they're just punching in every direction and has no central ethos. No, like, it doesn't like have a central ethos. Like e- late, late the central Park ethos or, you know. is that everything is fucked right now, and we're all acting like idiots on some level. Okay. Um, so here's the premise, and there's there's twists to this, and there's more to be revealed. But I'll give you what we get at the beginning. Mm. Uh, a group of people wake up in the woods. And uh, they find, like, a big cache of weapons alone in a field. Mm-hmm. They open up the cache of weapons. They'll arm themselves. And then people start shooting at them. <laughs> okay. So we're getting... There's, like, a couple of scenes of build up, but that's basically what we're at. 
And they all start running around. And we're people that we recognize, Emma Roberts, Ike Barinholtz, Betty okay. Gilpin. And they're all talking about, it's Mannergate. It's real. I knew it. Mannergate. Mannergate is a fictional conspiracy theory in this universe. Mm-hmm. Mannergate is the, the conspiracy theory that liberals, rich liberals, are hunting conservatives for sport. And they're kidnapping them and making them wake up at a manor, and then they're killing them all. So this is completely... Oh, ma- ma- conf- manor, like a rich manor. Yeah, M-A-O- M-A-N-O-R. Sorry, oh. I just realized that might not be confused. Um, so this confirms everything the hunted believes. Mm. They all start running away. They all start getting killed. But there's someone here who doesn't seem like they belong, and it's Betty Gilpin. Okay. Betty Gilpin, who you probably recognize from Glow. She was on American Gods. She's amazing. She's the only person who isn't talking about the conspiracy theory. She's also the only person who, like, knows how to fight and, like... I mean, there are people who know how to use weapons because there's a lot of, like, Second Amendment types Mm -hmm. who are involved. But she's the only person here who is actually able to defend herself effectively. She's also really not all there. Hmm. Betty Gilpin is giving a performance in The Hunt that is astounding. Astounding! It's like twenty percent Linda Hamilton, all right, and like eighty percent Batman villain. Like mm. it's just she she is constantly giving this running commentary on everything that we're seeing with just her facial expressions mm. and a series of sound effects that she makes that I think only Betty Gilpin can fully translate. <laughs> There's a scene. It sounds in this, like um, uh, who, what was the actress from Your Next? Sharni Sharni Vincent. Sharni Vincent. There's that kind of vibe where okay. it's just like this person probably shouldn't have been here. Yeah, this like, person is not part of the plan. Like I'll, you're way too prepared for this sort of scenario. Exactly. Yeah. But whereas in Your Next, the fact that Sharni Vincent halfway through the movie just says I grew up on a survival compound I know how to survive mm. that's just a joke mm. that doesn't tie into anything there's I mean, no the, theme the, the, there the second half of that movie is like an action like just a violent action picture. yeah I mean I like that movie fine but like the fact that she is so capable and such a survival expert and can fight and kill mm. the movie doesn't really have anything to say about that in your next no. in, <laughs> in this movie it does but to explain why I would ruin the ending so I don't want to talk about right. it um, Betty Gilpin has like a speech about like what like her mom taught her mm. in terms of like how to survive that is completely fucked up and hilarious and just tells you every horrible thing that she's went through. Uh. There's scenes where she'll do something actiony, but she'll do it in a way you've never seen anyone do before. Like she's like sitting in the passenger seat of a car, mm. and there's someone in the front seat of the car with her driving, mm. and she no- so that guy says something and she no longer trusts him. So all of a sudden, she grabs the woe bar and starts turning slowly in her seat, making the noise. And then she kicks him out of the car in mid-drive. And I'm like, what the fuck was that, Betty Gilpin? That was amazing, Betty Gilpin. Thank you for that. It's hilarious. The violence is completely over the top. The humor is completely over the top. Right. It is, an, It was supposed to be an opportunity, I think, for us all to have a little chuckle at how we've gotten so... Like, there's been such a schism, such a dichotomy in this country mm-hmm. that this is what it feels like every day. But you're just at war with everybody yeah, else. Yeah, like, so this is what it feels like. One side is hunting so you. So once yeah. we literalize it, mm. it becomes more absurd. Okay. And all of a sudden, the kind of bullshit that we say on Twitter, even the things that liberals say, mm. there's a scene where one of the bad guys is, like, just in the middle of killing people. It's like, you know, Boom! Hey, Ava DuVernay liked one of my tweets. <laughs> and you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ. 
that's such a brutal joke. But like, we can all laugh at that. That's funny. So, uh, not that David Duvernay is a joke, obviously not. But just the idea that like you can be that out of touch mm. and you can have let like you know your anger skew you that right. bad and still feel like you're kind of a good person, like. But also, there's something very specific going on here, and same thing going on in Ready or Not, which is political affiliation aside. This mm. is obviously a story about class because people doing the right. hunting are rich. Which is typically they're, the case in the Human Hunch movies. Generally speaking, yes, they're, these are rich people who, regardless of what political you know side they claim to have, mm. they're dehumanizing people and they're completely like a field of whatever morality should be mm. because they're so detached because they have so much money and they're interacting with people who no longer have any sort of connection to reality. Mm. This movie is great. This movie is very funny. This movie is going to piss some people off because some people, you know, don't have a sense mm. of humor about some of the stuff the hunt is getting at. And I think that's fine. I can respect that. That's perfectly reasonable if it pushes you away. But I don't know, man. I think there's a lot of catharsis to be had in this movie, provided you can get past the fact yeah. that the premise is, of course, very um, violent. And there's something, this, there's some fun to be had with This that. sounds like uh, a movie from the 90s called The Last Supper. Do you yeah, remember the Last I do remember Supper? That. Yeah. Do, yeah. There, there was a movie in the 90s called The Last Supper and it had a pretty impressive cast. It had uh, Cameron Diaz, Ron Eldard was in it. Um, Ron Perlman, Ron Perl- yeah, um, and, and, um, Courtney B. Vance. Uh, and, uh, Annabeth Gish was in it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Re- really, really good cast. And the idea was it was about a bunch of like Gen Xers. They're in their early 30s, it's late, late 90s, who are extreme left liberals and they're concerned that the left doesn't do enough mm-hmm. to combat the right. Mm-hmm. They, like, they, they we're really, too lenient, we're too complacent. And, they, and, this, we're just, yeah, yeah. and this, this was the time of like the rise of Rush Limbaugh and a lot of the sort of like extreme right radio hosts. So yeah, that, that kind of battle between the left and the right was in their heads. And they said, you know, we stop buying grapes or we go to protests, but what are we really doing? What are we changing? And they decide, insanely, mm-hmm. that they'll invite extreme right-wingers over for dinner test them, see how far right they are and how essentially morally far gone they are. Yeah, is it possible and to talk this person into being reasonable? Be, being reasonable on, yeah. on, uh, on, our according, on on our terms. Yeah. And if they are not, then they poison them and then bury them in the garden. Yeah. And... A of very course bleak comedy. Yeah, it's an, it, it, and it is a comedy. Uh, and yes, of course, as as time goes on and they end up like poisoning more and more people, they start going like a little bit more and more insane mm-hmm. until the the final scene where they're essentially having lunch with Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, it's one thing and, to judge people's principles. I think the uh, movie argues it's another thing to say that these people are less than human. These people mm-hmm. do not deserve to live. These people are yeah. fundamentally well, horrible human. You know, there's something. Though, there's a line. It argues. It, it sounds to me like both the Last Supper and and the Hunt were perhaps made by people who have left a left leaning viewpoint, and are kind of trying to maybe express a bit of frustration and how unhealthy the fantasies that arise from that fr- frustration are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, oh, well, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I wish I could just kill the other side. You say you know, when you're drunk in a dark. Yeah, that's actually a plot yeah. point in the Hunt, where someone okay. says that like sort of a, mm. as a joke. Yeah, and it gets blown mm. up. Like yeah, because, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I think both, from what you're describing, and from what I didn't know of the Last Supper, both are saying that there is nothing good about indulging in those like dark fantasies. When you get to the point where you're not just angry at the other side, mm-hmm. but you actually like, and this is basically a microcosm of civil war. That's what yeah, the hunt yeah. kind of is. And it's basically just saying that wouldn't that be bad? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better if we didn't do that? I mean, that's what the hunt is arguing. Mm-hmm. 
But in the meantime, you know, we can have a little chuckle at things liberals say that are a little silly sometimes, and the things that conservatives say that are silly as well. So, yeah, anyway, there's. I guess the point is, the Hunt maybe argues is that we're all taking ourselves too seriously, and okay. that we're all judging people based on what we think they're thinking and not listening enough hmm. in, in all cases. Um, and, you know, you could argue that that's a little waffly, that maybe that's not as hard a, a point little, of view. A little as, too even-handed? Maybe, but I do think there's a place for it. And mm. I think the hunt in basically being so severe about it and being so, uh, you know, showing the extremity mm. of what a schism can do. Um, I do think there's a place for that. I do think it has entertainment value. Is it the most cogent, salient political uh, point any movie he's made of late about mm-hmm. where we are at as a country? Uh, no, because I think it's just trying to have more exploitation fun mm-hmm. with that and just take things that we currently see and expand on them and make them even more ridiculous just mm-hmm. to show how ridiculous we currently are. But uh, how does it compare to The Purge election year? Well, The Purge election year is very focused. Okay. And I actually like The Purge election year a lot. But I The Purge election year is the best one in that series. I would yeah. argue, yeah. Um, the Purge election year was the one that basically made it about uh, the election between Trump and Hillary Clinton. And <laughs> um, yeah, that one is really on the nose, but it's so, it has such a firm idea of what it is trying to do and what it is trying to warn us about and mm. the actual like dangers of trying to meet the opposing side on their own level and why that may be necessary, but why that also might cost us their soul. They're saying something about mm. that. The hunt is more of a comedy. Okay. The hunt is very, very much a comedy. I'm sorry. I missed it. It's really, very I was really looking forward to it. These, yeah. you know, any film that has even the, the slightest whiff of controversy about it. I want to see it. Of course. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, the hunt, it's sillier than to give it credit for. It's clever. It's violent. It's funny. Um, I think it got blown way out of proportion i also understand if you don't think it's in good taste because it's trying to push that boundary but i also wouldn't say it's in bad taste however your mileage may vary so if based on what you've heard you say to yourself i never want to see that i get it but i ultimately i liked it and i laughed a lot and i didn't find the movie terribly mean-spirited at anyone i think it just thinks the way the world is right now is absurd (laughs) and they just took it to the to the nth level Yeah, yeah yeah Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, what do we got here? What's the next like biggest release? Um, what else did I? Can, may I talk about Kelly Reichardt's First Cow? Please do, because First Cow is amazing and I love it. Oh. And I'm, I've been really looking forward to talking about it again. I already talked about it on KCRW last week. Uh, but yeah, Kelly Reichardt uh, is a filmmaker who you might know for maybe the slowest movies this side of Tarkovsky. <laughs> uh, she she did films like Wendy and Lucy and uh, Meek's Cut Off. These very nature-bound, very rural-bound films about uh, uh, places where life runs a little bit more slowly. Uh, First Cow, uh, it opens with, uh, it opens in the modern day of a woman going through a park in Oregon, and she, uh, her dog starts digging through the dirt, and they find a pair of skeletons. So we know that this story's not going to end well. Mm. We then cut back to the 1820s in the Oregon Territory. Oh! And the first cow that made its way there. There is, uh, we start open with a a chef, they call him Cookie, and he's fallen in with a bunch of uh, fur trappers who are far less sophisticated than he is. He actually knows a lot about cooking, but he's living on the frontier. 
Uh, they keep on saying, hey, you're going to make more beans. Well, I need better ingredients. He's a, clearly a little bit out of place right. on the frontier. He ends up falling in with a, a Chinese immigrant who's on run from the law. And the two of them realize that they have kind of a common sensibility. And also, they've noticed that the local rich man, played by Toby Jones, has just brought a cow. And at night, they sneak onto his property, milk the cow, and use the milk to make pastries, Mm. which is something that is completely unheard of on the Oregonian frontier. It's like, imagine you've been eating nothing but sticks and leaves, and somebody can give you a really nice, sweet, honey-laden buttermilk biscuit. I mean, it does sound good right now. Yeah, right? I could go for that right now. And they end up, of course, uh, catching the attention of Toby Jones with their good cooking. He takes a bite and says, I taste England in this. (laughs) And... uh, And he wants to hire them to make, like, more and more elaborate pastries for him and his, like, rich buddies. And they're not doing it to, like, feed each other or have good meals. He's just trying to show up his rich buddies that they have access to Look at how fancy I am, yeah. All of this stuff takes place over the course of over 90 minutes. Like, it takes a long time for this film to sort of tell its stories because there's a lot of just shots of wandering and whispering and conversing. Well, it was a slower time. It was a slower time, and Kelly Reichardt is, is actually... Not interested in sort of the, the uh, not lascivious, just the more exploitational, the more uh, sensationalist version well, of the Well, just getting story. to the plot. Yeah, yeah. Like, some movies are all about getting from mm. one plot point to another, mm. and some movies are really great at that, but that's only one way to yeah. tell a story. Uh, clearly, on the surface, this is an economic table, uh, fable about a uh, table. My, we're we're my, sitting at a table right now. I, I've had a lot of caffeine. My consonants are all mixed up. Uh, it's an economic fable about, yeah, about sort of fending for yourself and about how the origins of this kind of uh, American entrepreneurship is based on uh, theft and leeching off of the rich. Yeah. And of course the rich and, f- and selling it back to the rich. Yeah. Uh, and that all is all very fascinating. And that's what makes this sort of like complex and smart and a good film. But what makes it great is that it is also a tale of just mere friendship mm-hmm. that the two male leads are, it's not like they have like a good rapport and they're chattering a lot, but they seem to occupy the exact same soulful space. They understand one another, even though they have different goals. They speak, they're tender toward each other and very loving toward one another in a way that we don't really see depicted between two men on screen too often. Mm. Male friendships, when you see them in movies, especially American movies, it's usually very. It's based on a lot of machismo, a lot of uh, competition, yeah, a lot of yeah, power dynamic. It's, it's like oh, we're gonna get drunk and get in a brawl, and that's what makes that's what makes us friends. I, I forget what comedian it was, but they mm. talked about the way that men tend to hug in this country is you embrace and then you slap each other on the back, yeah, real hard. It's very yeah, aggressive. often very very hard, and it's like I'm hugging you, but I'm still hitting you. It's still mm, yeah. violent. And some way and something wrong about that a a comedian said it's always three pats and and that translates to I'm not gay (laughs) yeah it's like it's all yeah very machismo homophobia is all in there people are afraid to feel intimately close with other these these two men they're not lovers there's not like any kind of romantic intimacy but there is a kind of warmth between them that I don't see between men in movies a lot and that's what really kind of hooked me and dragged me deep within Mm. First Cow it is smart, contemplative, very slow moving. Mm. Uh, if you're not used to sort of Kelly Reichardt's slow pacing, then you might get a little frustrated. But at the same time, 
It's got a cow in it. But how is the cow? Is the cow a character? Is the cow just like a MacGuffin or a property? No, no, it's, or? it's a cow. And, uh, you I know, know it's, it's a cow, but like, <laughs> just, that's like, do we feel like we get to know the cow? Uh, Cookie, the, the chef character, does milk the cow and talks to the cow. And it's very tense because he's sneaking onto property to milk the mm. cow. And we sort of start projecting personality on the cow through him. But yeah, the cow doesn't like do anything. Well, it reminds me of, um, uh, we, we do this show on our Patreon called only the best. Where we review every movie that was ever nominated for best picture. And, mm. uh, we just reviewed a movie called an old Chicago about Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it was this small mini trend in the late thirties of big sweeping dramatic films mm. about like, you know, love and romance and, you know, personal tension, and then in the last act, mm. there was a big real-life disaster. It's not unlike how Titanic is structured. Yeah. Um, the big first big hit was a movie called San Francisco, which starred Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy, mm. and it all built up to the big San Francisco earthquake, when that was a huge hit. There was a rip-off film called In Old Chicago, which is basically the same kind of thing about familial strife leading up to... The Great Chicago Fire. However, they decided to make the main characters all of Mrs. O'Leary's family. As you may have heard the urban legend that the Mm. Chicago Fire got started when Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked Mm. the lamp over. The cow kicked it over. She winked her and said, "There'll be a hot time." Yeah. Yeah, So, like, it turns out Mrs. O'Leary's son was mayor, and her Mm. other son was like king of the mafia who helped get the guy sewers. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking stupid. But there's a bit. The cow (laughs) is basically a character, and like at the beginning of the movie, the cow like kicks like one of the women who's working for Mrs. O'Leary lightly enough that she falls into one of the O'Leary boys' arms, and that's how they fell in love. And it's like, thanks, cow. It's such a dumb film. (laughs) But they go overboard to try to make the cow Kind of central, yeah. No, Kelly Reichardt is too sensitive for that. She's not going to do something kind of silly with the cow. It's a great cow. It's not one of those... (laughs) It's not one of those, like massive black and white American deals. No, this is like a, a like a mouse brown colored Swiss cow. It is like Ooh. such such a gorgeous animal that <laughs> when you first see it, it's it's on a raft floating down a river. It's just sort of looking around. It's like this cow is on an adventure. This is there there's like a kid's version of this where the cow gets to talk like nice. s- like spirit stallion of the Cimarron. Nice. Uh, yeah, th- this please 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 seek out this movie because mm-hmm. it is just so so warm and so wonderful and so smart. And I appreciate any movie that can slow you down. Yeah. That can kind of get you to relax and start thinking about, you know, taking life a little bit more slowly and also think about eating those awesome looking biscuits and clafu teas and all these really other obscure pastries. Well, awesome. Uh, Tell me about, because you actually saw more films than I did this week. Okay. Tell me about uh, another uh, drama that's actually got good reviews, uh, The Way Back. Uh, the Way Back is the latest film from, uh, oh gosh. Gavin, Gavin O'Connor. Gavin O'Connor is yeah, who his did name. Warrior, did, which yeah, is one of the best sports movies ever. Uh, this is another sports movie, ostensibly, but in fact, it's an alcoholism story. Uh, this stars Ben Affleck, and Ben Affleck gives a really, really great performance in this movie. Good for him. Uh, probably informed by the fact that he has also struggled with alcohol in his life. Mm, and he's uh, talked about this a lot. He's in talked about it openly. Especially, especially um, lately because of this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the it, reasons probably, why he's not Batman anymore. Right, right, right. He was, yeah. he was yes, struggling. Struggling with booze, uh, drinking a lot, and now is on, on the road to recovery. This story is about Ben Affleck plays a, a former basketball star. He was a basketball star in high school. Uh, he's been married, but now he's on the outs with his wife. We learn why later. The first maybe minute of this film, we see him at work and he's drinking. We see him on the way home and he's drinking in the car. And then we see him taking a shower and there's a beer in the shower with him. <laughs> so we know this is an alcoholism story. Yeah, that's uh, pretty clear. 
and he is given he's contacted by his old high school he's, you know he's in his 40s now but he's contacted by his old high school saying you are we're the last star we had mm. uh, and in true sports movie fashion we got the losingest team in all of the state and we need you to come by and whip him into shape and go on a journey of recovery and he's like oh well, I've seen that movie before sure <laughs> be nice if he actually said that well there's actually a really great moment where he's uh, like rehearsing saying no he's gonna call a father mm. look sorry and, and the priest runs the school he's like father I'm sorry I can't do it uh I, I just, I just can't. I have other things going on. Takes a beer. Okay, I, I can't do it. I got other things going on. Takes another beer. He ends up drinking like thirty beers in his fridge over the course of this scene, and just gets more and more drunk, and just mm-hmm. saying, "I don't care about your freaking basketball team." Passes out. Takes the job the next day. I, one thing um, I love in movies, mm-hmm. and we don't see this often enough, is people rehearsing what they're going to say. That's usually a good scene. It was really mm-hmm. funny in Birds of Prey, but yeah. my favorite <laughs> version of that is in The Exorcist Three. Uh-huh. There's a bit in the Exorcist three where George C. Scott is investigating all these murders taking place around a hospital, mm. and he know he he's going to go see like the head doctor, and we cut to the head doctor, and he's giving a speech about how everything's fine, here's what's going on, and it all seems pretty cut and dry, and then the camera is like slowly turning around him, and he realizes he's not talking to anyone, and he's rehearsing his speech, mm. and then George C. Scott knocks, and he gives George C. Scott the exact same speech, <laughs> so you know even though it it's totally plausible, it's bullshit. Uh-huh. It's great. It's great storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of other good like speech rehearsals. I know I know there was a good one in Death Becomes Her. Where, oh yeah! Um, oh yeah! <laughs> where she's practicing, she Goldie Hawn had lured um, uh, Meryl Streep away from the house and wanted to go in and like swoop in on Bruce Willis. And her line was, "Madeline, I must speak to Madeline at once." So she likes looking at, looking in the mirror. Madeline, I must speak to Madeline at once. No, Madeline, I must speak. And then when she finishes, she like looks at herself, and then this like horrendously tales from the crypt a moment it's just like yeah I do me and like licks her own lips at how sexy <laughs> she is it's like the sickest thing it's wonderful I, I love that goddamn movie is it possible um, that that's Robert Zemeckis's best film I, I don't know Who Framed Roger Rabbit is pretty great pretty as well pretty damn good and Back to the Future is also pretty damn good but Zemeckis has made some pretty great films I think there's an argument to be made that Death Becomes Her is it's at least his funniest Oh, for sure. It's yeah, definitely yeah. his funniest, yeah, but that might be his best. Yeah, I think wonder, his wonderful, movie. grim comedy. Oh, so Some of his movies, I think, are underrated. I think Castaway is actually quite good. Um, it's good. Yeah. It's good. I got nothing terribly against Castaway. Mm-hmm. And what, what Lies Beneath is sort of brushed aside, but I think that's a fine I film. think it's too long, and the ending's a bit predictable. It, it is predictable. It's It was nice to see those actors play those types yeah. of roles. They were all playing against type I think lot. if that was a little punchier, I think that movie would be even better. If that was, was, a, was a crisp 100 minutes... Yeah, it is over two hours. Yeah, it doesn't need to be as long as it needs. Anyway, we're we're off on some Macos. Gosh, what were we even talking about? Uh, (laughs) We were talking about The Way Back. The Way Back. Yeah, sorry. So anyway, uh, (laughs) Ben Affleck takes the job. Uh, Yeah, it turns out they have the losingest team in the whole world, but he's able to sort of give them speeches about the fundamentals and looking Mm. at your teammates. There's not a scene as good as the one in Air Bud. I was just about to bring up Air Bud! The coach in Air Bud has such a wonderful way of training his mm-hmm. players, saying you, you're going to play basketball, but the ball is invisible. You have to sort of mime the ball and pass it, and, and you know who has the ball at any given moment? Who mm-hmm. are you going to pass to? Who's blocking whom? And at the end, he's like, okay, who has the ball? And like five kids raise their hands. And you realize the not, six kids. They're yeah. all doing their own thing. They're not paying attention and being a team. And you realize all of a sudden... Shit, Airbud is well written. Airbud is actually a pretty well written movie. The first one is good. 
Like, I mean it. Like, it's legitimately good. <laughs> and it has one of the greatest lines of dialogue ever written in cinema history. Yeah, ain't no rule that says dog can't play basketball. That's it. That's it. I want a I, t-shirt with that on. I, I, oh, I would kill for a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, I want that t-shirt just, so I'll, bad. I'll just get iron on letters from the local craft store and make it myself. I've been but, wanting yeah. to do an Airbud entrance at the Schmodown for so long where there's like a dog that comes in dressed as me <laughs> and it's like you can't have that dog and like there's no and we've, we've gone through the rules there ain't no they're rules working on the rules of the Schmodown and I checked there is no rule <laughs> that says a dog can't play the Schmodown so if, if you can get a, a trained golden retriever to take the seat like just come out through the curtain and take the seat that that's would the be fantasy perfect. that's the dream It'll never happen. It'll yeah, never got so many things <laughs> anyway, I want to do with that show. I'll never get to do. Uh, ben Affleck, Ben Affleck starts training these people, and there's all of the uh, all of the usual uh, you, basketball movie cliches. Yeah. Where you get to know each the of the angry play- kid. Yeah, there's, there's the, the kid angry is, kid. There's the kid who's, divorced, uh, who's or... not quite committed enough, or there's the kid who really is committed, but he's distracted for some reason. Mm. There's like the hot doggy guy who's like, "Oh, I want to dance before." It's like, "No dancing. You got to win games before you can start dancing." Oh, yeah. like, okay, oh, coach. Yeah. They have like just enough personality to be really good supporting players and have a lot of charisma, okay. but the story isn't about them. And actually, the camera keeps drifting away from them in this frustrating sort of way. Oh. So you do have like those basketball movie cliches where somebody makes the three th- three uh, pointer pointer at the last. You can minute. do it. <laughs> so sorry. Or a free throw right at the last minute, and you know the music cuts out right before the ball lands to the hoop, and then everybody erupts and cheers. All of that stuff is in there, but. This film is a little bit more sophisticated than that because it's about re- recovery more than anything. And we mm. do learn eventually about a horrendous tragedy that Ben Affleck had suffered, which sort of kept him wallowing in drink for as long as he did and why mm. he's alienated from his wife. His wife is also moving on. She's dating a new guy, even though they're not divorced yet. And so it really is sort of about how he is trying to work his way out of this horrendous pit of depression that he's been living in for decades. Mm. And as such, it's not going to end with the big game. And I kind of appreciate that. It's actually more about his journey of self-discovery and what he needs to realize more than what the kids need to do to achieve. And that is, I think, a really good way to tell this story. Because we actually get a lot from the kids, but it's not going to end in a really predictable way. Well, that's the temptation with sports movies. Mm. One of the reasons why sports movies are so reliable Mm. is that they take personal struggle and they equate it to physical struggle. Mm. You know, physical uh, uh, competition, you know? It's it's about achieving an emotional catharsis through something that can actually be quantified like a sporting match. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if I have bettered myself and learned enough discipline and responsibility and, and teamwork... Ergo, the team will be better, and therefore if the team wins, it is symbolic of my own personal and everyone else's personal growth. Exactly. And, and that's the temptation. And that's all satisfying it to watch. It almost yeah. always works. Like, even a, even a bad sports movie is usually pretty watchable because it's such a good structure. But it is always interesting to see a sports movie that... D- Slapshot is my ultimate example of this. <laughs> Where Slapshot has the best ending of any sports movie because it's not about winning the it's game. It's not about winning the game. At, at all. all. <laughs> like, at all. They, don't, they do not care at the end. That's not what it's about. If you've never seen Slapshot, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But um, so it's a, hilarious. A, a losing hockey team that, in order to... To not win games necessarily, but to pack the seats because yeah. if they don't start selling tickets, they need, they need to start selling tickets or they're going to be disbanded and all lose their jobs. But they're not good enough to sell tickets by winning, mm. so they decide to get in fights. They, yeah, they they hire they <laughs> like hire some goons, the like, Hanson brothers, the Hanson yeah. brothers who don't like they don't even speak, and their only job is to get on the ice, not even with their hockey sticks. Yeah, they just, just charge up on the ice and shit start fighting people. <laughs> and of course, there's a schism between like. 
Paul Newman wants everyone to fight. And, you know, who is it? Like, um, uh, the guy who played Harry Truman in uh, Twin Peaks. I can't remember. Um, Michael Ankeen. Okay. I think um, he's up there and he's he actually like wants to play the sport uh-huh. and like he's like no we're just pit, we're just hitting people. That's what we do. So fucking good. So it sounds like it's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good movie. Way um, back. I, I yeah. was I was a little bit surprised because I was expecting a sport movie cliche. It's yeah. you know alcoholic and for a while there it's following that arc. It's like I'm going to drink less and the kids are getting better and I'm getting to know them and I'm becoming a better person. But it's also about how he backslides occasionally and it's not about sort of the dark night of the soul. It's about how the dark just being dark living mm-hmm. in a dark place and how that is not something that can just sort of be leapt out of it's something that i think movies have trained us to think and even tv shows have trained mm-hmm. us to think it's something that is easily curable well like maybe not easily curable but once it's cured you're done yeah you know like okay so i had all these problems with no, like it's... my marriage like okay so like all these romantic comedies where you know there's like supporting characters even main characters where the big problem is one person's too focused on work and they're not focusing mm-hmm. on their marriage so they do this big declaration of love thing or they make this big sacrifice and everything's gonna be okay now right and then the mm-hmm. credits roll and you realize that no that's probably something i have to deal with every day because that is a tendency that is a behavioral mm-hmm. uh trait that they're going to, and maybe they'll overcome that, and maybe everything will be great now. But it also might be the sort of thing they backslide into when they're not paying attention. I was having this conversation online where people were talking about how in Star Wars The Last Jedi, the fact that Luke Skywalker was tempted to the dark side meant that, like, the ending of Return of the Jedi meant nothing because he was tempted to kill his father and he didn't. Mm. And so, like, what? So he learned nothing? It's the dark side, man. It's tempting. Well, like, that's the whole point. It's going to be a lifelong thing the, where, the like, you're going to be was, tempted to do bad once in a while and you fight it. The problem with that scene, to go off on Return of the Jedi for a second, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, there's nothing really f- for Luke there. Like, he was never tempted to do any of that stuff. It's like, kill your father. No, I, well, I already decided. He's so angry that he almost does it, but he, he almost, stops. Yeah, he stops himself because and, he's mad because his all his friends are going to. But then, but, but then, that's it. but the emperor says, you know, strike down Darth Vader, and you can be the new Darth Vader. But he that was never that. that was never been anything he wanted. I he always, never even said, "I wish I had power. I wish I had so the weird. ability to." I do always this. thought the emperor overplayed his hand at the end of Return yeah. of the Jedi, where he was like, "Yeah, strike me down." I'm like, dude, you're ruining it. He might have. Yeah, if you hadn't said anything. Oh. If you hadn't said anything, he might have actually killed Darth Vader because he was like, but then all of a sudden the cartoonish bad guy in the corner is just like, yes, this is exactly what I want. Well, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. Like, Shit. <laughs> it was a perfect plan. How did you see through it? If I wasn't here, it would have worked. So, but and, like and the also, idea in Last also, Jedi of him just being tempted in the middle of the night to do something dire also, is all, all really the good, cool to me. All the good guys are attacking the ship they're on at that moment. Yeah. So whether or not Luke joined the dark side or not, he would have been blown up anyway. Possibly. So. Possibly, yeah. yeah, we might want to make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But anyway, my point is this: movies make it make personal growth look look easy, and mm-hmm. personal growth is a constant struggle. It, it's, you don't go yeah. to therapy, figure out what your problem is, and then stop. Yeah, you that, have to realize you have my, to unlearn uh, behaviors. It's and, one of my biggest yeah. issues with American Sniper, which is very much about PTSD. Yeah, and that movie argues that PTSD is something you can you can get over, like pretty you can, easily. You can get yeah, you past can, pretty easily. You just yeah. have to sort of. Go about your life, calm mm. down a little bit, help somebody yeah, out, talk out to some people, whatever. But like, yeah. you can just get and, rid and of that once shit. once yeah. that you're just you have no PTSD anymore, and that's yeah. not the way that works. Yeah. And I, I admire that the way back is about how the the struggle is a little constant, but it is about reaching a new plane and a new plane of realization, and that how really good. you're constantly at risk of backsliding, and you just have to keep pushing forward. I'm glad that Ben Affleck has a role he's good in because yeah, I, yeah, I think like, he's a good actor, but I also think he sometimes gets crap roles. Well, he he likes to take these sort of like flashy pretty boy roles. He's one of those yeah. actors who I think was 
uh, too good looking to be taken seriously for a long time. Yeah. I think one of the best things that could have happened for Ben Affleck's career, because there's actually a story, and apparently it's true, mm. uh, when Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were writing Goodwill Hunting, which was, you know, they'd done character work and a couple of little things throughout mm. Hollywood before, but that was their big calling card. They wrote Goodwill Hunting, they wrote it for themselves to act in. Mm. But the problem is, it's not a two hander. Or it is a two hander, it's between uh, Will, Hunting Will Hunting and, and, his, the and his Mini Driver character. Well, with Mini oh, Driver and also his therapist. The, yeah, the Robin. There's no, like, there's no, like, two young men roles that are of, of equal size. Mm. So the question was, which of us gets to play Will Hunting? Mm-hmm. You know, the the lead. And apparently they flipped a coin. Okay. <laughs> and that went to Ben and that went to Ben to Matt Damon. And I think that's the best thing that could have happened for Ben Affleck because Ben Affleck is way more interesting in the supporting role in that movie mm-hmm. than I think he is in leading roles in almost any other film. Yeah. Because I think he's just a weird actor sometimes. And I think he's better <laughs> off that way. It's one of the things I thought made him a really good Batman. Like, I didn't like his Batman movies, mm, but per se, but he was he a really good Batman. Fine, yeah. He was a great Batman. Like, I liked him as Batman. Uh, get, getting older is a good career move for him. Yeah. And, uh, and it's it's really, he's wearing his age incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's now freer to take on more interesting roles that he's probably always wanted. Yeah. He doesn't have to do reindeer games and Armageddon any longer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because he's he's not sort of the matinee hunk any longer, yeah. and you you can see that happening with all other actors like Brad Pitt or mm. uh, or Johnny Depp. You know, these are really interesting, quirky actors who were so good looking that they were sort of pigeonholed as matinee idols for a little bit. And, and it, it wasn't, wasn't until they shirked those things yeah, that they got interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like George uh, Clooney was another one. Yeah, George, when George Clooney after he did Batman, and, there's the old story I've told before where he was on um, a talk show, and he was like, someone pointed out, you made all these interesting movies eventually what happened and he said well after i did batman and robin i called my accountant i said how am i doing he said you never have to work again and i said great from now on i'm only making what i want to make <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. that's a good uh, career move uh, for same, same with uh, uh that's an ethos bill murray has adopted yeah uh bill murray from what i understand this could be untrue this could be just apocryphal but he doesn't have an agent he just has an answering machine at home yeah and he'll check it and he'll listen to a, like he probably gets a hundred calls a day, oh, sure. but he'll listen to like maybe three or four. And if one of those three or four is something kind of interesting, he'll go for it. Yeah, like if it's Jim Jarmusch, he'll probably do it. Okay, speaking of dude roles, uh, there's a new uh, Netflix movie came out last week. Mm-hmm. Was it last week or this week? Dude roles, Spencer. Spencer. Spencer came out last week. Okay, Spencer Confidential, mm. uh, which is an adaptation, I believe, of. The stories that inspired the TV show Spencer for Hire. That's right. Which nobody talks about anymore, but was a hit show in the eighties. Like, like, like late eighties. Yeah. yeah, it had uh, and had Avery Brooks. There you uh, go. He wasn't Spencer. He was Hawk. Spencer's uh, Hawk uh, had his own spinoff. Oh, he did. Yeah. I think oh, great. I think it only lasted one season. I'll look into that. Yeah, it was actually about Spencer and Hawk. It was a two-handed play, uh, show, but mm-hmm. yeah, Spencer was uh, the main character. Now there's a new film based on Spencer. It's called Spencer Confidential. Mm. It is not based on one oh, of the original... A Man Called Hawk. A Man Called Hawk, okay. Yeah, it was only one season, it was 13 episodes, was I'll it, look into was it. Was it Avery Brooks? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Avery Brooks and Moses Gunn. I like Avery Brooks. I like Avery Brooks rocks. I know Avery yeah. Brooks from Star Trek, but yeah, he's a very good actor. Um, yeah. Very interesting dude. He's like deep into jazz music. Yeah. I think he teaches jazz now. Uh, but yeah, Spencer is based not on one of the original Spencer novels, but one of the 
rebranded Spencer novels that a different author took oh, up after the original author gave up on the character. Weird when that happens to me, like yeah. like um, Tom Clancy wrote a whole bunch of novels. Now people are just writing Tom Clancy novels. Yeah, same with like V.C. Andrews or the, or the author's the name. Born Ultimatum, like the Born keeps being in books even yeah, yeah, though the, the original author. In fact, like you, can, you can pick around. up some uh, novels, some novels, and they have the author's name with a little trademark by it. So mm-hmm. it's about it's by Tom Clancy trademark. So it's the Tom Clancy brand. Yeah, and and the name of the actual author will be like in really really tiny print on the inside cover. Yeah, my my uh, my uh, mother-in-law reads a lot of books by James Patterson. Asterisk. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like James Patterson approved mm. books. Like she likes that's right, so, the whole so, genre. So I, th- I think this is yeah, like Spencer Spencer the brand rather than Spencer the original. Got it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Spencer this time is played by Mark Wahlberg, and he's teamed up once again. I think for the fifth time with director Peter Berg. Uh, Jesus Christ, they were together a lot. What did they do together? They did, did Mile the, Forty Three. The, well, they did Lone Survivor. Yeah. Uh, they did Patriots uh, Day. Patri- uh, they did um, Deepwater Horizon. Yeah. That was Peter Berg. Um, uh, Lo- Lone, did I say Lone Survivor? He said Lone, uh, Lone Survivor. Sur- yeah. A lot of sort of military actiony bro thrillers. Yeah. I find Mo- Peter- Mile Twenty Two. Mile Twenty Two. Um, movies I, I, for men. I find Peter Berg's career to be really fascinating because his first film was a film we did a commentary track for for the Shot Factory. Yeah. Which you can pick up today from the Shot Factory called Very uh, Very Bad Things. And that one was a very deliberate indictment of bro culture yeah. and about how living this sort of ultimate fantasy of the overgrown adolescence uh, is just a moral vacuum. That is yeah. a very bleak movie. Yeah. And, and then he made a whole bunch of bro movies. And yeah, and then he made all these like <laughs> pretty much everything u- he's ever done since. Raw pro military thrillers. He even did yeah. Battleship, for goodness sake. Yeah, he did Battleship. Mm. He did, uh, um, yeah, Patriot's Day, Deepwater Rising, mm. Lone Survivor. Mile twenty two. All these, yeah, yeah all these really macho male heavy yeah. movies. The Kingdom. I don't. Did I see the Kingdom? There's I don't know. Jamie Fox and I think I did see yeah. it. I don't even remember the Kingdom. Yeah. He did the Rundown, which is pretty fun. It's a broy movie, but it's a fun one. The I Rundown's know. okay. I like that one. Um, yeah. Now he's uh, doing the Spencer thing, and uh, Spencer is a man who goes. He goes to prison early in the movie. He gets out, and you know he's a disgraced cop, and now the only job he can get is as a private detective, and it's staged uh, under the fact that he can't can't let it go like he sees a detail in a case and just has to pursue it yeah uh he he ends up going to a halfway house and is uh living in an apartment with alan arkin okay and uh hawk is in this as well hawk is played by winston duke uh that's good casting i love winston duke winston duke's the shit uh winston duke is such a good actor that you almost don't notice that hawk has almost no lines what he, he's like sort of the strong stoic oh, type and he, he gives a lot of performance with expression and that body is language. not what I Wait, want yeah. from Winston Duke Winston Duke is so good that you you actually get a feeling that he's an equal part of this okay. and, and Peter Berg I think like puts him on camera a lot so I think maybe everybody sensed that he was an underwritten character so mm. they gave Winston Duke a lot of screen time to make up for that right but he's an underwritten character it's such a pity because you cast Winston Duke and he's yeah. a really great actor. He's a better actor than Mark Wahlberg. There's this interesting... Especially in this movie because Mark Wahlberg yeah. is on Wahlberg Overdrive. <laughs> he is... Can that not be a cover he, band? He is <laughs> Mark Wahlberg Overdrive. Yeah. It's like and the Bachman Turner Overdrive but everyone's dressed as Mark Wahlberg from various films. 
Sure. <laughs> no, if, if there is a, a, a band called Wahlberg Overdrive, it would be the Wahlberg Brothers. Because they I actually know, have a, a so restaurant much. called Wahlburgers. And, you ever eaten there? And I haven't. No, I'm afraid. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't want to accidentally end up on reality TV. But yeah, he's, he's super Bostonian. This takes place in Boston. He's super kind of that sort of confronting... Uh, confrontational aggressive asshole that he's played in certain of his movies like like his role from the departed but that yeah, but oh like, like so that that's like the best example of that though. it's the best example because that's when it works because scorsese knows how to direct that and he also knows how to P- use that character in peter a story Ber- if peter you don't berg, make that character like, uh, the protagonist you make that a side character yeah. and he's fine peter berg is like really just sort of letting him play a little bit which is yeah. a little too much and he has those sort of like dumb blank mark Wahlberg expressions that he's kind of notorious <laughs> for he's better at that uh, than keanu ever was everyone else, like keanu is just kind of blank through movies and like, mm-hmm. a that's an exaggeration. Uh, B Mark Wahlberg's way better at that. Look at him in the big hit. His expressions <laughs> in the big hit. I, are I didn't just, see the big. Okay, hit. it's also, terrible also with, and also with, funny with Avery Brooks. Little connection there. Oh, I forgot about that. You're yeah, right. Avery yeah. Brooks is in that movie. There's a the, Lou Diamond Phillips is hilarious in that movie. He has mm-hmm. that great scene where they're going to call someone because they kidnapped somebody, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, what if? Uh, so what if they try to trace us? Well, that's why we got a trace buster. And if this trace buster will bust their trace if they try to trace us. Mm-hmm. What if they have a trace buster buster? That's why I have this trace buster buster buster. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what if they have a trace buster 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 buster? That's insane. And they do. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's a terrible movie, but it's very funny. <laughs> and it's like 90. It's like the worst of the late 90s oh, kind of action things, from what I understand. Really, um, it's some terrible. Christina Applegate's character in that is just uh, oh, offensively gosh. sexist. Speaking so of bad. offensively sexist, Eliza oh. Slesh- Schlesinger is in this movie. It's oh, sort of okay. like the, the, the angry ex-girlfriend who's moved on and was pissed off that he did these horrible things as a cop. Uh, the the inciting incident is he learns that somebody was it's like Bud White and LA confidentially learned somebody was a wife beater so he just dragged a cop out of his house and beat him in front of his house okay and that got him thrown in prison because he beat up a cop in public well yeah okay I mean I understand I mean I don't and and all the cops hate him now so that's a you know level of contention and of course there's local mob to-dos and corrupt cops to-dos and it's yeah to-dos and shenanigans and this or that and it it's really really predictable they set up all these characters and you know exactly how this thing is going to play out and that's extra frustrating in a film that is underplaying its best performers <sighs> not giving any kind of clever wit or dialogue it assumes the audience is dumb. It feels like this thing was written for a 10-year-old to follow like a who doesn't watch movies and doesn't know how to follow movies. Like, there's a scene where he's, uh, Spencer wants to get his trucker's license, and he's in trucker's class, and he's thinking about the case, and he writes out, like, Blake was killed. He kind of looks at it for a little bit. And then he underlines it. Blake was killed. And then he writes the word, who, question mark, and then he looks at that for a second, and then he circles the word who. Like, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of edits. It's like... We get it. He's thinking is about the case. Is that a joke? Case. Is it funny? I thought it was, but everything else is played so earnestly. That sounds like, like the sort Peter of thing Bird. you would see in like a joke movie about someone trying to be a detective who's never done it before. Yeah, and yeah. they just know you're supposed to write things like in a, a like journal. The, the, it's like Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown's first adventure. Okay, Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown is, and his, even his first adventure was more had, was more on his shit. It's more on the ball than. Spencer By the way, in this movie. where is where is in my Encyclopedia Brown movie? Where are we bringing that shit back? We had a Nancy Drew film. I think that one kind of tanked a little bit. So. Well, had it, but she's got a semi-popular oh, there was TV another, series, though. That's true. And there was another Nancy Drew movie just recently that was also very unpopular. Uh, uh, they didn't make money, but everyone I know who saw it actually liked it. Mm. Uh, but Nancy Drew has her own TV show now. 
Okay. And apparently it's good, or at least is, as an is audience. It, is it one of those CW things yeah. where they kind of like sex it up? Well, yeah, yeah. they did that. But there's no it's, hard... They're not going to sex up and It's interesting Brown. to me that they're not bringing back any of the boy detectives. Okay. Like, like they're not bringing back the Hardy Boys. Mm. Where the fuck are they? I don't know. Not that we need them, but where are they? It seems weird to leave them twisting <laughs> in the wind. And there's no Encyclopedia even... Brown. I liked Encyclopedia Brown. Did I never ever, got uh... an Encyclopedia Brown mystery right as a kid. Oh. Oh, I never guessed the ending. I never found the right clip. I never did it. Hmm. Hurt my feelings. Did, do you did you ever read the something queer is going on books? Did I? It was about uh, two girl detectives. One of them, the the quirk was one of them had like really thick braces, and she would oh. always like pick at the wires on her braces when she was thinking. Okay, I vaguely remember yeah. that, but I don't think I read those. Um, yeah, something queer is going on. They they started in, like the mid seventies. Yeah. I read those as a kid. Okay, the, the something queer movies. Um, the one I loved was uh, the la- big... later redubbed the Fletcher Mysteries. The one I always loved, and I always thought would make a fun uh, mm. movie or TV show, was The Big Brain. Okay. Did you ever read that? No. It's like a kid and his older brother in the late, like, 1800s, like, 1890s or something. Okay. And um, the older brother, it's all written by the younger brother who's chronically looking up at his older brother and how Mm. amazing he is. And the older brother is a con artist. So if you thought the best part of, like, all of Mark Twain's writings was the bit where, like, Tom Sawyer tricked everyone into painting that fence. That's like all that kid did. And it was all just a series of elaborate (laughs) confidence schemes, pyramid schemes. Every chapter was this kid basically trying to con the system. Mm. And they were great. They were really funny, and they actually had a pretty good moral compass. Like, he never, like, got away with anything he shouldn't have, like, for moral reasons. Um, It was really good. I always liked those. Those are some of my favorites. Those kinds of stories... Now, we're on a tangent here, but I think think that's kind of relevant because those kinds of stories about, like, moral detectives Mm -hmm. who have a really strong moral code... Are always better stories. Look at something like Knives Out, well, or shit. Look at Batman. Batman's yeah, a detective. You know he's he's the, yeah. He goes outside the, movie, the law. The movies aren't detective stories, but yeah. So, sometimes they sort of faint in that direction. But there, there hasn't no. been a Batman detective movie. I know. I ever. wish they, I um, wish they do one where he's nice. actually a detective, like just for a change, like just try it mm. once, yeah. see if it fits. Like just have Batman versus a serial killer. You can make the serial killer like they did that a couple of times in the comics. Who's killing all the super villains in Gotham? Do it. I want to see that. That sounds great. And, and, well, I, I understand and action you know, he dresses as a bat and he's really theatrical. But yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been great if it was like 1940s style and yeah. he's just, he wears the bat outfit because it's sort of like camouflage? And yeah. Like he's, he develops the cape at first and he says, okay, and I'll just have like a bat hat as well. Yeah, well, I need, yeah, yeah people can't see my identity, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, this, this yeah. mask thing and, and what, what the heck, I'll dress as a bat. Because people I'm, dig it. That's a little weird thing. But yeah, his villain, the villains in Batman should always be like human villains. The, the a few old, minor exceptions here, they'll let slide. Okay, you know, like like uh, uh, poison ivy has those like poison lips. That's not so bad. That's not so, yeah. That that's some, you that can have be, that. That's fine. That could be something from a noir film. Yeah, 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 yeah Somebody yeah, has like yeah. poisonous lipstick. Yeah, like and, and then somebody, we just yeah. we're gonna make it literal. We're gonna give her like mm. that's just what her lips are like. Fine, whatever. But that's pretty. You, right. you can't have Batman versus Dark Side. Never made sense to me. <laughs> I know it means it feels <laughs> cool like a, to you because he's like, like a normal a, human, but like, like an alien space god. It's like I beat up Superman and you have Batman fighting him, and I'm like, no. That's, there's anyway, got to be a line somewhere, right? The, the problem with Spencer Confidential is, yes, he's like sort of single-minded and he thinks about the case a lot, but he's a dick. Yeah. 
in this movie. Yeah. Now, Spencer for Hire, I haven't seen the show, so I can't comment on sort of the character more broadly. But in this movie, he's depicted as a complete and utter dickhead. Yeah. You don't understand why people want to hang around with this guy. He's caustic and mean to everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just a grating, predictable, sexist, offensive movie. Where Eliza Schlesinger is treated very poorly, and Winston Duke is treated very poorly. Alan Arkin avails himself well because he's such a good actor. Alan Arkin, and yeah. and Mark Wahlberg is coasting on the worst parts of Mark Wal- Wahlberg. That sucks. Don't watch it. Okay, it's bad. Noted. Yeah, uh, a movie I do kind of recommend you watch, and it's actually a weird double feature with The Hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Beneath Us, and it came out a week ago in very limited release. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have more people see it because although it's not amazing, I do believe uh-huh. it has interesting things on its mind and it's a pretty good horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a story about undocumented workers uh, in Southern California. You can actually see them in front of like a lumber yard I know in uh, Eagle Rock. Uh-huh. So I know the area. Um, uh, played by uh, Rigo Sanchez and uh, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. this right. Uh, uh, Josue uh, uh, Aguirre. Agira? I, I, A-G-U-I-R-R-E? Agira. Yeah. It's Agira. Okay, yeah. I'm not crazy. All right. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so they're undocumented workers. Uh, the older, their brothers, the older brother is trying to save up money to bring his wife and son over the border. Younger brother just sort mm-hmm. of mysteriously showed up at his doorstep, and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. They're getting work, and while they're, like, in with this lumber yard, there's a lady who is buying a whole bunch of home improvement supplies, and they and some other undocumented workers decide to go up to her and say, hey, you need any work done? We'll work very, very cheaply. And the woman is played by Lynn Collins from oh. John Carter, who I don't see enough. I She's love great. Lynn Collins. She is great. Mm-hmm. And she, unbeknownst to these guys, is the villain in a Russ Meyer movie. <laughs> she is weird and over the top and amazing in this film. So they, she hires them, and she brings them over to her like estate. Mm. They don't really think much of the fact that it's in a gated community. They don't really think much of the fact that the house has its own electrified gate. This, is, this is a Ross Meyer movie. Kind of. Does she wear a leather vest and fingerless gloves? No, but she wears a lot of like outfits that like show off her legs, and at one point she kills someone with the heel of her shoe. Oh, that's Russ Meyer-ish. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, she'll, like, kill someone with the heel uh, of her shoe, but then, like, later on, like, mm-hmm. someone will, like, use, like, not use a coaster. Uh-huh. And she'll just, like, you can see the urge to kill is rising. <laughs> and then finally, like, she puts a coaster under the mm-hmm. glass, like, see? But she can't say anything because the guy is, like, not mm-hmm. someone she can kill. So, like, then he, like, he picks up the drink, drinks it again, and he puts it down, not on the coaster. <laughs> And she slams the glass on the floor <laughs> rather than put you try the coaster thing again. Uh, She's just this ball of racist rage. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> She's giving a huge performance in a, a relatively small movie. Um, anyway, these two brothers and a couple other guys, uh, they're hired to work on like a guest house. Mm. And it needs reflooring. The walls need to be redone, sanded down, and we're going to uh, do some landscaping around the place. And they're going to pay them way more than they thought they'd ever get. And they're like, great. Come nightfall, they're like, uh, hey, can we go home? And she's like, oh, are you done? Well, no, there's more work to be done. Well, I'm not paying you until the work mm. is done. Okay, well, so they so they all try to go to sleep. So she spritzes them with water. Mm. Uh, I don't see you working. So now they're working round the clock, and when they finally start realizing that they're locked in, uh. and they're being forced to work by crazy rich white people, 
They like try to break into the house to like steal the keys so they can leave. And of course, now they're just broken and entered. So she kills one of them with the heel of her shoe. And that's when everyone who's left realizes that the undocumented worker situation has literally become modern Mm. slavery. Oh, okay. And now they're stuck there. And there's nothing that they can do because these people are heavily armed Mm -hmm. and just want them to work for free basically yeah, yeah, yeah. and what they and they're not 100 percent sure but they're pretty sure that when all is said and done they're going to be killed so uh-huh. they'll be killed if they don't work on the guest house and if they don't finish the guest and uh if they do finish the guest house they'll probably be buried underneath it oh wow okay it's a really harrowing thing and i think the movie uh, deftly sets it up mm. it's very simple it's very straightforward there's not a lot of meat Mm. on the bones it's a direct it's as direct a political statement as the hunt is perhaps a little indirect okay um i think i like i think i might like that a little better you might and and it's not as like entertaining but it's also not supposed to be entertaining it's supposed to be really really bleak Mm. there is a the movie itself is you know maybe a little slower paced than it should be Mm. Lynn Collins does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of keeping it really exciting, but the downside is is that she's distracting all the attention from the protagonist who all our sympathy is supposed to be with. Mm. She has none of our sympathies. She's just a, a, a dynamic villain. Mm. But our sympathy should be with these guys, and they just don't get as much to do. Uh-huh. And that's kind of a problem. Not mm. the worst problem, but not a good problem to have. Mm. But there's one scene, I'm not gonna, I don't want to ruin it for you, because it's so damn good, but there's one thing in this movie, it happens later on, mm. where it's one of their attempts to escape. Something happens in this movie, and it happens in a way that is so... Like, the entire vernacular, the cinematic visual vernacular of the film, mm-hmm. changes for about ten seconds. Okay. It just, all of a sudden, the rest of the movie wasn't like, edited like this way. Like it's animated or something? No, 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 no. Nothing that gauche. Just... The rest of the movie was not edited this way. The rest of the movie was not paced this way. The rest of the movie wouldn't cut away from something like this. It is so... Her- it feels like a nightmare to me. It's like it's so. <laughs> it's like the moment, like the last thing in a nightmare before you wake up. It's so fucking scary to me. I was watching this and I'm like, okay, that's a really fucking scary way to do that scene. I am impressed by that scene. Mm. The rest of the movie is good. Okay. Not amazing, Lynn Collins is pretty amazing, but the rest of the movie is good. It's focused. The idea is strong. Probably could have gone a little further than it did in, in, in order to sort of keep us invested in the mm. moment-to-moment action because it kind of rep- it gets a little repetitive in the middle. Okay, but man, there's that chunk at the end that is so fucking frightening. I was like, <laughs> okay, you know what? Well, fucking played, beneath us. So right. this one got fell under the radar. It'll come out eventually. It feels like the kind of film. That, like, you'd never heard of, but then, like, a weird, esoteric, like, home video company, like, Vinegar Syndrome puts it out. Oh, there you go, yeah. And, like, if you don't have Vinegar Syndrome, really, really great home video company. And what they do is they track down Grindhouse, B-movies, Z-movies, mm. from mostly from the 70s and 80s, maybe a little bit from the 90s. Um, and they gussy them up nice. <laughs> so like, these movies that and they, and we're talking about everything from like straight to video horror movies that are just a little more interesting than you would have thought mm. or hardcore pornography that's just got a little bit more plot than you'd expect. <laughs> like yeah, they, yeah. but they just take like, all of these things like a notable star. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They take all of these things that normally would just be like lost to history because they were forgotten mm. and they just treat them with respect. Sometimes more respect than the movies actually deserve. Hmm. Not every Vinegar Syndrome release is a good movie, or even worth renting. 
But I always do because the ones that are are great discoveries. This feels like the kind of movie that would have come out in like 1988. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like you would like and you just would have flown mm-hmm. under the radar. No one would have thought of it. And then you would rediscover it on DVD and be like, why aren't people talking about this? This is really interesting. Like Shudder would yeah. celebrate that they have it now. Like you yeah. put it on now and maybe it gets a little lost in the shuffle. But if you <clears> tell people, <throat> no, this has been around for a bit, people might go, oh, no shit. How did I miss that? Hmm. So don't wait for that moment. See it now, hmm. if you can. Or at least wait till it comes out on home video. It's good. Not amazing, but good. All right. And uh, lastly, but not was, leastly. I, well, before we move on, I just I was looking up Lynn Collins, mm-hmm. and it's like, why don't I see her in more movies? And she's done some TV, but yeah, she's never had um, like a steady clip mm-hmm. of work, which is kind of a pity, because I really like her. I think she's, you know, classically trained. I think she'd be really good in a lot of different things. Yeah. This sounds like just a good way to get a little bit more of her filmography. Yeah, she's it's it's she's really really excellent. She's a great villain. Hmm. Uh, it's awesome. Is that it for new releases? Am I forgetting something? Um no, I think we talked about everything. Right, we have to talk about First Cow. There you go. Uh, <laughs> before we go, we want to talk about we probably should have done this at the front. Mm-hmm. Um actually wait, let's review the movies then we'll talk All about right. another epilogue. Um uh, so uh we're going to review our movies on the critically acclaimed scale of C- to C+. Uh, a C is an average motion picture. If you want, if it's got some stuff you like in it, might be worth seeking out. But like, maybe not go out of your way. C minus is below average. Everything from eh, don't bother to God, stay away. It's awful. C plus is above average. Generally speaking, we recommend you seek it out. Could be everything from pretty darn good to a classic. Mm. So on the C minus to C plus critically acclaimed scale, uh, beneath us is a very high C. Okay. Um, never quite exciting or terrifying enough consistently mm-hmm. to be a C plus, but it's better than you'd think, and Lynn Collins certainly keeps it afloat. Nice. All right. Uh, Spencer Confidential. So uh, C minus. Mm. This is yeah. I, I love Winston Duke. I love Alan Arkin. I even like Eliza Schlesinger. Um, but this is just a, a big floater. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Fine. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, the way back. Uh, the way back, a, a, a low C plus, not a, po- a like a hugely passionate one, mm. but I think it's a really kind of soulful, thoughtful tale, uh, and it has a really great lead performance by somebody who really knows what he's doing with a role like this. That's great. Uh, first cow, first cow C plus, one of my favorites this year. Uh, it's been honestly, it's it sucks that so many movies mm. are getting thrown out of theaters because this started off as a pretty good movie for a year for movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of really excellent movies in the first few months. Really great films this year so far. Um, uh, You know, as 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 we all quarantine ourselves, this is a great opportunity to maybe stay in and see some of these things as they sort of leak onto streaming. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. The Hunt. I'm going to give a big old C plus. Uh, I fully admit that some people are not going to find this movie funny, but. I think the movie knows what it's doing, and I think it's definitely doing something very, very funny. And I think Betty Gilpin is giving like an instant horror icon performance. She's nice, nice, really nice. great in this movie. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, just onward, I guess. Yeah, onward. Yeah, onward. Onward. Uh, also C plus, and also oh. not not a hugely uh, passionate one, but I mm. think it does everything it's it sets out to do. The only thing it really is missing is some grit. And but yeah. you're not going to get grit from Pixar, so you know this is the Pixar version of a Ralph Bakshi movie, and that's no bad thing. Yeah. Uh, so next week uh, we'll be back with reviews of a bunch of streaming movies because they're coming. 
<laughs> and uh, we can review them. So uh, and we're going to try to spread the love a little bit. So we got uh, streaming uh, stuff from a bunch of different platforms, uh, including The Platform, a new thriller <laughs> coming to Netflix. Uh, we've got Blow the Man Down, a new thriller coming to Amazon Prime. Uh, we've got Big Time Adolescence, a coming-of-age movie on Hulu that was actually released this week in some theaters because I think they thought maybe it could have some awards possibilities. Mm. Um, but uh, And actually, we've seen it, but we're going to wait till next week so you can see it too. Might as well because yeah. we don't recommend everyone go out to theaters right now. Um, and uh, then also, this one came out this week, but I didn't get around to it, but I see no reason not to by next time. Uh, Disney has a new uh, film on Disney Plus called Stargirl. Uh, not to be confused with the superhero. It's a different thing. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, we'll review that as well. And we'll also review on the Cancel Too Soon Streaming Club. And by all means, watch along with us over on Netflix. Guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, which I realized we didn't actually introduce. Uh, it is a Best Picture winning film about a white family who discovers that their daughter is engaged, right? To Sidney Poitier. Yeah. Oh, and, and, it's a, and it's about how how racist they didn't know they were, and how yeah. they have to confront all of these prejudices. We're all going to learn a valuable lesson. <clears throat> it's uh, 1967. It came out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a film many people think mm. hasn't aged very well at all. But neither of us have seen yeah, it. Let's find out. Uh, the parents are Hepburn and Tracy. Yeah. But Sidney Poitier is the one everybody remembers because oh, yeah. he's, he's Sidney freaking Poitier. Sidney freaking Poitier. <laughs> what the hell? It's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, so we got that coming up as well. Before we go, we should have done this at the top, but we lost a few great filmmakers. That's right, we did. And uh, we should probably talk about this. We were so busy uh, kind of reformatting and introducing stuff. So, and yeah, also let's... addressing the elephant in the room, what yeah. we're going through as a society right now. So. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we, we lost a few legends mm. of cinema, uh, one of whom you're way more familiar with than mm. I am. <laughs> uh, and let's talk about, uh, and I think this is one that flew under a lot of radars because mm. his films weren't terribly popular in America. Uh-huh. Coffin Joe. Coffin Joe. Jose, um, I think it's Mojica Marins. He's a Brazilian horror host. And yeah, unless you're like deep into sort of the world of cult horror uh, in here in America, you probably don't know who he is. He's really familiar. He's like Elvira in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, came up with this on-screen persona, Coffin Joe, and kind of lived it the same way Cassandra Peterson and Elvira are more or less the same person at this point. Yeah. Um, Cassandra Peterson is like in costume a lot less. She's just Cassandra Peterson in public now. But for the longest time, she would only go out in public as Elvira. So the idea is that Elvira is a real person, but also a movie character. Same with Coffin Joe. Uh, he dressed as sort of like a, a Victorian era undertaker. So he had like a cape and a nice suit. He had this really sharp kind of evil looking beard and a top hat. And he also <laughs> great grew, look. Great he look. also grew his fingernails super long. So he had these l- really long claws and. He lived to see the world suffer. He was... Uh, 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 he lived like the Marquis de Sade. He was a stone-cold atheist who was constantly threatening God to for pun- to punish him. Mm-hmm. It's like, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to commit cannibalism today. Why are you going to do that? Do you want to eat a person? No, I just want to defy the Lord. You know, he was... <laughs> You know, and the, he made movies with titles like uh, "This Night," like "At Midnight I Will Possess Your Corpse" or "This Night I Will Take Your Soul." Uh, really, really wonderful old cult movies from the '60s and '70s. Um, and yet, they, they were just so wonderfully lurid and confrontational and horrific in a way that was unique to him. Uh, and if you can track down some of his earlier films, I don't think a lot of them are on streaming, but some of them did come out in. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on video 
I think there's a box in, set in, out in there America. Somewhere. Yeah, you can yeah, it might be out get, of print, but you yeah. can get an out of print box set. But yeah, they're really hard to find. If if you live here in Los Angeles, just go to Cinephile Video, and they do have the the Coffin Joe movies. But yeah, at midnight I'll take your soul. This night I'll possess your corpse. He made in the late '60s. Uh, he did a t- like a TV anthology series called uh, "The Strange World of Coffin Joe," which was released in America as a film. Um, hallucinations of a deranged mind. These movies are uh, like they're really lurid, and they're also really kind of difficult to stomach in a lot of ways. Like yeah. he, he really wants to get up in your face, not with gore necessarily. All they did to do a film in the 2000s called "Embodiment of Evil," which is really aggressively gory. But they're just so brazenly nihilistic that, yeah, it becomes really difficult to watch them after a while. And the whole idea is, of course, that the world is kind of dark and meaningless and he gets away with everything. Yeah. Uh, if the Crypt Keeper were a real person and made movies, <laughs> it would have been Cough and Joe. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've seen some interviews with him later in life. Yeah, he was, and he was raised, like, in movie theaters. So he just was raised on this steady, steady diet of horror movies and American horror movies. And he came up with this Cough and Joe character and just lived it for decades. Uh, and, yeah, he, he kind of espoused that philosophy, but later in his life, he could kind of mellowed out. It's like, yeah, I did these kind of cost of things. I still believe a lot of that stuff, but eh, I wouldn't be a dick about it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just so wholly committed to horror and death and horror cinema. He was a big fan of it. He was a big icon and just liked to carry that whole ethos forward. He will be sorely missed. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with Coffin Joe, you're missing out on just one of the great international icons of horror film. I've been meaning to catch up with mm. his work for so damn long, and um, well, mm. I have time. Uh, yeah. uh, and also, uh, we lost the great legendary actor Max von Sydow at the age of 90. Uh, Max von Sydow is a prolific actor who had starred in some of the best movies ever made. Uh, you probably know him best from The Exorcist. He played Father Marin, who, of course... Was the Exorcist? It, it's kind of hard to uh, pin down what you know Max von Sydow, Max von Sydow best for, yeah. um, because you know I, I knew him as uh, the Bergman regular. Uh, sort yeah. of, he, he's the iconic face of uh, the Seventh Seal. He was the knight who played chess with death, yeah. in, and that was in the 1950s. Uh, he went on to make several films with uh, Ingmar Bergman, uh, including Shame, which is one of the most depressing movies you've ever seen, <laughs> about a, a couple living in the hills when World War II breaks out and how they eventually have to leave and these other people are exploiting them, and the last shot is them floating in a boat through a lake full of dead people, and that's the way the film ends. Cool. Really uplifting, Bergman. Uh, <laughs> Bergman's like, damn yeah. it, that's what it was going for. <laughs> it's going for uplifting. How did I, how did I whiff it so bad? Uh, and, and he's really, really wonderful in a film called Our of the wolf as a mm. man who's mentally ill he's slowly losing his mind and how uh, his, his wife like woman has to kind of piece everything together uh, that, that's a really wonderful film mm-hmm. uh, but then he's wasn't really shy about moving to America and doing something a little bit more uh, intense like The Exorcist mm-hmm. or goofy like Flash Gordon he plays uh, Ming the Merciless yeah. in Flash Gordon he's incredible as Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon mm-hmm. and Ming the Merciless is always a character who has been just like like on the edge, like like kind of racist, 
<laughs> yeah, well, he's portrayed yeah. in a kind of race. So he's from an alien planet, but, but he's, he's kind of going. He's came, named Ming, and they give him this sort of Fu Manchu look. He, yeah. he's, he's essentially like this evil Asian overlord, but yeah. he's played by this Swedish actor in the feature film. Yeah, it's really weird, but it, he's still really good yeah. in it. Um, he was the assassin in Three Days of the Condor, which if you've never seen that, holy mm. shit, that's one of the great spy it. movies ever. Um, he, he played Brewmeister Smith in, <laughs> in a 1983 Canadian comedy called Strange Brew. Uh, which is, a, I guess, a cult comedy now. This yeah. was like common parlance when we were growing up. I'm not sure if people even talk about Strange Brew anymore. It had a, it had a re-release on like Blu-ray recently that people were talking about. Oh, okay. I think I think it's been had mild rediscovery, but I think it's fair to say it's it's cult. And Strange Brew, look at Strange Strange Brew. It was based on an, uh, these SCTV characters, these ultra Canadian guys named the McKenzie Brothers, played by Dave Con- Thomas and Rick Moranis. And so they had their own movie in 1983 that they wrote themselves and. If you look at it closely, it's the Hamlet story. Yeah. Where the Mackenzie brothers are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Like, they have to go to Elsinore Brewery. The main character is named Pamela instead of Hamlet. But, yeah, there's Uncle Claude instead of Uncle Claudius. And Brewmeister Smith is sort of like the wild card character. He's just this evil guy who's putting chemicals in beer that can control people's minds. And uh, you can tell Max von Sydow is there to really try to play a part He's not just sort of joking around. He's the serious character. He gave himself these weird fake teeth in that movie, so he's clearly trying to bring something to even the schlock he was in. So yeah. you can you can watch Strange Brew. You can watch The Seventh Seal, where he plays uh, the, the knight who's playing chess with death, mm-hmm. who believes that there's something to all of this. He's looking for, essentially, the meaning of life. Yeah. Especially now that death is literally The meaning of tail. life cannot be death. Yeah, right? It's like, can't, we, we right? Can't, How we can can't, it possibly we be? We can't just die. And yeah, he's like confronting, confronted with death and death is like, okay, I'm going to take you away. Well, there's got to be, there's nothing more than this. And he kind of looks off to the side and says, there has to be. Yeah. He's like, he's about to die. There has to be something more than this. I think so it's he's, interesting when he's, people he's, don't he's like respond kind of to the seventh seal because I feel like you'll get there. Yeah, eventually yeah. there will come a time in your life when all of a sudden the well, seven and, seal clicks. And uh, Joseph Erlinson is in that movie yeah. too, and he's the kind of like the nihilist, the atheist of the group. He's like, "This is it. Uh, this is what I expected." And Max von Sydow is there with like, even as he's dying, this tiny little shred of optimism, even though the world about him is like, it's the crusades, there's plague, everybody's being persecuted and killed. It's like, there still has to be something. So he brings just as much soul to a role like that. Now, Bergman wrote really meaningful stories about life's big questions. Strange Brew didn't do that, but... You can tell that Max von Sydow is wholly committed, and he was, you know, moved on. He did. He was in one of the Star Wars movies. He was uh, played a role in the Judge Dredd movie. Like he was just as committed. But then he was Oscar nominated in a film that nobody remembers called Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close that was up for Best Picture that nobody watched. And uh, I remember there were a lot of think pieces at the time because we didn't really know why the hell that movie that nobody saw and nobody talked about was nominated for Best Picture, and it was all this political yeah. conspiracy. Turns out it could have been just Max von Sydow. He's just that who, good. Who is a he plays a silent role in that, and he is talking to a young boy, and he communicates so much through no dialogue that we realize, oh yeah, Max von Sydow, man. <laughs> it's weird when you look at the the sort of the awards mm. that Max von Sydow was was nominated for in his life because they're mostly for extremely loud and incredibly close. It, which is odd. It's, it's like it, listen, yeah. I don't. I think that movie sucks. He's good in it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really maudlin, overdone movie. But you look at the other movies he's been in, and it's absurd mm-hmm. that he wasn't. He's only nominated for two Oscars his entire career, so that and Pele the Conqueror. That's well, it. Another film nobody really yeah. talks about that much. Yeah, sure. but like you think about like and and yeah, he was in a lot of like fun movies. But he was also in a lot of like really great movies, and mm-hmm. even in the the fun movies, 
He was great. Here's here's a movie that I think it's really underappreciated. Mm. And I think he gives the ultimate performance of the devil uh-huh. in Needful Things. It's, it's, it's like, is it Randall Flagg or it's a Satan-like character? No, it's a different character. It's not Randall right. Flagg. If it is, you know, it's they're not playing yeah. it. Um, in, in Needful Things, if you've never seen it, really fucking good. Um, it all takes place in the uh, town of Castle Rock. Mm. And a guy named Leland Gaunt. What a great name. That's, the, that's, that's right out of Dickens. What a great name that is. <laughs> Leland Gaunt moves into town and he opens up a knickknack shop. Mm. Little antique shop. Middle of nowhere. Everyone figures it's going to you know, go out of business in a year. Mm. Everyone goes inside just to sort of see what's up. Small town. New store. Everyone finds exactly the thing they've always wanted. Like just, a, a signed baseball that somehow, yeah. even though the player is dead, somehow it's autographed to them. Yeah, like to someone yeah. also who's named Timmy. What are the odds? Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh my God, that's exactly the Letterman's jacket I had in high school back when I still felt good about myself. Mm-hmm. And the only thing Leland Gaunt wants in return for these items that will make you feel whole again is a blood it, sacrifice. <laughs> a blood sacrifice. It's a little favor. That's it. Mm-hmm. One little favor. Mm-hmm. And that little favor starts escalating and starts making everyone unhappy and miserable until the entire town, like, gradually builds up. It's like one of the most natural. I love movies that gradually build to a riot. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. we're just gradually build to everyone, like, killing each other because it's the end of the world. That's Needful Things, and it's so elegantly done. I mean, it's better in the book, but, like, it's so elegantly done. It's such a great movie, and, and people, he's amazing in and it. And people keep going to him for advice. And yeah. There's this, the, the part that made my stomach fall out. I saw it came out in, like, the early 90s. Yeah. I was maybe a little too young to be watching. I, I could handle it, but... There's, yeah, it's not, it's not the most violent movie ever. It's There's some deaths that are kind there's, of gruesome. There's but. just one depraved moment that I still remember to this day where the guy, like, is, is on the phone, he's in tears, and he just says, I just killed my wife. Oh, it's like, J.T. It's, Walsh, who's yeah. amazing in that film. I just killed my wife. He's on the phone with Leland Gaunt, and then he, he just pauses. Is that wrong? And Leland <laughs> Gone says, "Hey, these things happen." <laughs> it's like he's just telling you what you want to hear. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's okay. These things you're still happen. a good person. Yeah. Like, you, no, you're not anymore. You just, JT. just murdered your wife. You're horrible. Or you look at him in Conan the Barbarian, where he plays mm. King Osric. What a great! He has like <laughs> sixty seconds of screen time, and he's like the whole trailer because yeah. he's got all the gravitas in the film. Mm. And it's just he's this great speech that I've always wanted someone to say to me. Which is, what daring, what outrageousness, what insolence, what arrogance. I salute you. (laughs) And also, um, I don't think he's credited, but he's also in Ghostbusters 2. He's the voice of Vigo the Carpathian. He's the voice of Vigo the Carpathian. No one knows this. No one ever talks about this. This didn't come up when everyone was talking about all the great Max von Sydow roles. He was Vigo. He was the voice of Vigo. Well, it still they, that they, makes they him got, Vigo in they, my eyes. They got that that handsome, tall actor to play Vigo. I but. think if James Earl Jones can be Darth Vader, I think Max von Sydow is Vigo. Mr. James and Earl so Jones? is David Prowse, and so is uh, the guy who actually was Vigo. Uh, I, the, I, I don't know the actor's name. He was also in In the Mouth of Madness, though. Yeah. This weird German actor is like... Mm. It's so weird and in the mouth of madness that yeah. guy because he's like wearing American overalls and Oof, he plays this regular guy weird. but he has this German accent in the middle, know, of, so middle of this New England town. There's a great Max von Sydow role that nobody mm. talked about that I saw okay. um, when all this was going down was um, the Quiller Memorandum. Oh, I, I projected this one so I, yeah. I, I brushed up against it but I didn't um, watch it. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a spy movie uh, about a uh, guy, I think it's George Seagal or George Seagal. S-E-G-A-L. George Siegel. Yeah. George Siegel. Uh, 
he's a spy and he's in West Berlin and he's trying to figure out what happened to like this thing. And Alec Guinness is his point of contact. And Max von Sydow is the bad guy. There's a sequence towards the end where okay. we've all seen scenes in movies. You may remember them joking a lot about it in Ant-Man and the Wasp about uh, truth serums. Okay. And they don't just make you tell the truth and it's funny. They like put you in like a daze and you can talk someone into saying something they didn't mean to say. Okay. That's how the Quiller Memorandum was probably the most, as near as I can tell, the most like plausible depiction of that ever. And there's a scene where Max von Sydow gives George Siegel, uh, you know, a serum, and they do it in real time too. It's like ten minutes, or that's how it feels anyway. Mm. I've been a while since I've seen it. That's just Max von Sydow just talking him into it, just like mm. yes, oh no, who is your and who are you working for? Oh, I can't tell you who I'm working for. No, you can tell me. I'm your friend. You're my friend. Yeah, I'm your friend. Everything's cool. Everything is chilly in here. No, it's not that chilly. But you can tell, like, it's just like, <laughs> it's just him just weaseling it out of him. And I, I can't, I don't have all the dialing in front of me because it's, it's clever and I'm not. Yeah. But like, it's such a creepy scene because it's just him just quietly getting you to do something you don't want to do. That's evil. Mm. It's so creepy. It's so good. <laughs> I miss Max Moncito already. Yeah, he, 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 uh, oh gosh, he did like really good supporting roles. He did really great leading roles. Mm-hmm. He played Jesus Christ, for goodness sake, yeah. uh, in The Greatest Story Ever Told. This dude did everything. Um, oh, what was I thinking of? He's only had a few, like, I think really good kind of showcase roles where mm. he was the lead throughout. And uh, yeah. I'm not sure if you ever saw the film version of Steppenwolf. No, I never did. Uh, based on the Herman Hesse novel, which uh, is this. I'm not sure if you've ever read uh, the novel, but it is this kind of, it's very brief, but it's mostly contemplative. It's conversation about sort of philosophy. And then the climax of the book is, is almost like completely abstract. Like he goes into essentially another dimension mm. where like all of his thoughts start like manifesting oh, all at weird. once. No, I think I only and read they, Siddhartha. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I have, actually, I haven't read Siddhartha, oh, weird. But, okay. uh, but I have read Steppenwolf. Okay. And, uh, yeah, there was a film version of Steppenwolf, not very celebrated, but uh, Max von Sydow gets to kind of carry Herman Hesse's philosophy, and he's such a thoughtful actor that I think it's actually very engaging. Okay. I, I like the film version of Steppenwolf. I know it's not widely celebrated by many critics, but I, mm. I encourage you to seek that one out. Oh, good to know. Mm. All right, so uh, Max von Sydow and Coffin Joe. Mm. Rest Legends. In peace. Yeah. Legends who will be missed. Thank you so much uh, for giving us a moment to discuss them. Thank you so much for giving us your time. As we talk about movies that many of you probably will never get to see in theaters. And uh, listen, everyone take care of yourselves. Yeah, don't don't freak out, but be cautious. Be uh, very cautious. Follow all of the guidelines. Get the, social get the sanitizer, social distancing. Don't hoard. Take, you don't need to hoard. Get, take what you need in case you didn't have to leave your house for like a week, week and a half. Yeah. That's what you need. That's what you got. Um, be, and, and I know a lot of people aren't in that kind of scenario. Sometimes you are going to have to go out and get supplies because yeah. you're living hand to mouth. And, and some people have to work. Some, some people, have yeah, you have to go to work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just follow all of the mm-hmm. all of the rules. Stay uh, stay as isolated as you can. Don't touch your face. All of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, this is not because the world is coming to an end. We're doing all of this to stay safe. We're doing all this to prevent the world from coming. To exactly. An end. And I I I'm, I laud everybody who is going through it all right now. And uh, and listen, we're we're all together. And we're like, and I mean that if not physically, then like mm. shared, 
in the world right now, and we're connecting through this podcast. So, uh, by all means, we have a ton of content. If you're new to the show, you want a backlog, we have a ton of stuff that's out there for free here at the uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, wherever you find podcasts. If you want a bunch of other stuff, we do have a Patreon, Mm -hmm. patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And with all the movies drying up in theaters, Mm -hmm. there's less work out there for people like me and Whitney. So if you can't afford to subscribe to the Patreon, we sure would appreciate it. And, it, and and we'll bring uh, bring you our usual oh, amount of content. We're, oh, we're, we're uh, maybe still more so. We're, we're still committed to all of this because we're, so, yeah. we're doing we're doing more stuff now. In fact, uh, in addition to the content uh, that we usually have on our Patreon, including the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie, we're doing not on Disney Plus all year TV movies that aren't on Disney. Uh, we're doing only the best, reviewing every best picture nominee ever. We're doing our Star Trek podcast, all our yesterdays. We're doing every single Star Trek episode ever. We are also, because we finally hit the 250 mark on our Patreon page, 250 subscribers, we're going to do a new podcast exclusively for the Patreon for all levels of Patreon, where Whitney and I review every single episode of Firefly, one episode per podcast. That's coming very, 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 very soon. Yes, indeed. Uh, and in addition uh, to that, we also have a new Star Wars podcast. Which, now that things have settled down and we kind of have to stay home, uh, we have no excuse, and we're going to get to that real, real soon. We just wanted to get a couple episodes in the can before we debut it. Yeah. Um, so all of that is coming up real, real fast right here. Don't forget, cancel to uh, the critically acclaimed streaming club. We're watching Guess Who's Coming to Dinner for next week. Write into We've Got Mail, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We'll read them on the air. We'll answer your questions, talk about all kinds of stuff. And, of course, we have Canceled Too Soon, uh, where we review TV shows that lasted only one season or less. Whitney, am I forgetting anything? Oh, Twitter. <laughs> and, we're all, and we're also on Twitter. Yeah. We're, we're at Critic Acclaim. Uh, collectively, we are separately. You're... Uh, at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. Um, and if you're curious about the Schmodown, where Whitney and I compete, mm. uh, that show is ramping down a bit, as you can imagine. Uh, the free-for-all event, which was supposed to be this coming week, uh, has been downgraded from a massive live event where hundreds of people were supposed to gather. We're obviously not doing that, but as many of the competitors who can get together, mm. uh, and we're just going to record it live, and you can watch that uh, streaming, mm. and you can go to the Schmodown website uh, and get all the information you need to do that. Uh, as long as I'm still feeling well enough, I will be there. Mm. Uh, Whitney, I, I think you might be I, there as I, well. I am going to be there as well. Okay. Again, things can happen. They, you know, they could decide not to have it at all, but I don't think anyone wants that. So mm-hmm. the plan right now is as many competitors, including us, are going to be there mm-hmm. as safely can. So um, stick around. There is cool stuff coming. We're going to pump out as much content as we can. Be good to one another. Be safe. Be responsible. Um, and um, in the words of the great Douglas Adams, don't panic. Easily the best advice ever. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's it for us. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?